your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Bellinger rips a line drive to the right field corner, base hit. That'll bring home two. He holds on to the single, and the Dodgers lead 3-1. Ripped up the middle, and the beat goes on. Two-run base hit, Zach McKinstry. They've got six before Martinez has an out. Both hit hard, and um, just wasn't able to get in any kind of rhythm, wasn't able to stop the damage. Um, more balls and strikes, um, a lot of some close misses. Um, just wasn't his night. Bellinger hits one way there. Williams going back at the wall. Goodbye. Grand slam. Game busted wide open. Can't just let the guy go out there and die on the vine and, and uh, next thing you know something happens and he comes up and he's not able to, to make his next start or has some issues moving forward. A huge congratulations to Carlos Martinez for making Major League Baseball okay, history. Now that's not nice. Don't congratulate him on something like this. He has joined Bubba Harris great name jason jennings not a real person jeremy guthrie okay and luke hudson as the only five pitchers in the history of major league baseball to fail to record at least three outs while giving up 10 earned runs or more okay. huge Tanner. congratulations to carlos well martinez done. for Necessary. making some baseball history last night. They always say, you know, when you turn on a baseball game, you just never know when you're going to see something that's never happened before. Uh, what well, has happened be before, it will happen again, but it's only happened five times. What was it like for you to watch that last right. night, Alex? I'm going to defend my guy here a little bit because he could have got out of this inning if it wasn't for the dumb throwing errors that we saw in the first inning, oh, right? Like on. Edmundo Sosa throwing it to the Dodgers bench. Oh, so now we're blaming There's an you. out. Okay. There's an out. Cody Bellinger's tied up between third base and home, but there's an out right there. We're getting through, and then you get another throwing error in the game. Who was that one on? That one was on... Is that on Tyler O'Neill? Alex is the guy that causes a 20-car yeah. pileup on the highway. And he's like, yeah, but the other guy was going 60, and the, high, hey. the speed limit's 65. I, play I had a game. to get around him. I play a game in my own head, and it's called I'm Never Losing. And I never lose. And look, Carlos Martinez was bad, but I'd argue four of those runs come from errors on the Cardinals' side. I mean, that is fair. I'll just argue he was bad. He was also just not very good last night. And let's... Let's start with this. I'm not out on Carlos Martinez, not by a long shot. He's still one of your five best starters. 
he is a guy that moving forward, I think will still be fine for the Cardinals. But I think last night was a reminder that he's not back. Remember that quote we played from him where he said the tsunami is coming? Yeah, he channeled his inner Jordan Bennington. Didn't work. Didn't work for the Blues either. Hey, it worked for Bennington for a little bit. (laughs) It actually worked for him for the rest of the year. He was fine. Um, Carlos Martinez is not back. Carlos Martinez is like 60% back. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. He's a solid pitcher. And last night he looked terrible going up against what is the best team in all of baseball. And it was an awful inning. You you hate to see it. You hope it never happens again. But that kind of thing does happen, unfortunately. All jokes aside, this is Carlos Martinez. This is what we buy into. You're you're not going to get a consistent number two. You're going to get a guy who will give you shit. Well, you might get some number twos well, in there. Well, he threw but, a number two last night, yeah. basically, is what we saw. But you're going to get a couple of games where this guy's going to be lights out like we saw at the end of April, beginning of May, where he threw three straight games, getting six, seven and a third and eight innings and giving up one total run. But then you're also going to get going to get the next four where he gives up five, two, three and ten. You're going to get a roller coaster ride with Carlos. But guess what? A roller coaster ride from Carlos is better than somebody who consistently goes out there and loses you ball games. Yeah. So as much as that one stunk last night, you hope that he responds with a performance that you need out of Carlos Martinez with seven or eight innings pitched. It's strange to say, but one of the benefits that you've had from Carlos Martinez this year is that he's just gone deep consistently. He had gone at least five innings in every start this year. Yeah. Prior in, in his last one, two, three, four, five, six starts, he had gone at least six innings in five of them. Mm-hmm. He was giving you quality starts consistently. And then there was a little bit of a detour. He got hurt, and now you've got this. I would expect, if I had to guess what happens in Carlos Martinez's next start, I bet he gives you five to six innings. (laughs) I'm not going to go that far. Five to six innings, gives up three earned runs or fewer, and he looks like the same guy that we had seen for the vast majority of the season. Who's that next start against? It would probably be against the Cleveland Indians, right? I'll have to check. Because it would be three against the... Yeah, Reds, I'm pretty sure. So it would be against the Cleveland Indians. So yeah, that might be a perfect opportunity for him to get right. Because like we've talked about, we just mentioned in the Danny Mac show with BK, Cleveland has not been good offensively. Pitching wise, they're really good. Offensively, not so much. So that might be the perfect opportunity to put Carlos's confidence back into where it was coming into that Dodgers start. The text line 65780 is the air comfort service text line makes a really good comparison for current version of Carlos Martinez. Nolan Ryan say the current version of Carlos Martinez looks a lot like Jaime Garcia used to lots of potential, but doesn't necessarily reach it consistently. I think that's a pretty fair comp. I think it's a great comp late career. St. Louis Jaime Garcia was a guy that had a four to four and a half ERA would start most of his games, but you would always wonder, is he about to go down with an injury? Is there going to be something that's ailing him today? As long as he's not celebrating a home run from somebody, he should be fine. <laughs> is he gonna? Is he gonna have a migraine that ends up meaning that he has to leave oh, this thing a little the early? Migraine excuse. I mean, it it's it's kind of like that with Carlos right now. You don't get his best stuff every night. You don't feel confident every time he goes out there. But given what the Cardinals have as their alternatives right now, he's clearly one of your five best. You can make a pretty strong argument. He's one of your three best starters right now. So they need to stick with him, even though last night was ugly. Who would be those three? Carlos, Wayno, and Gant. 
I'm, I mean, uh, that that right there is a massive issue. Your other two starters right now are KK and yeah. Oviedo and, and maybe Jake Woodford. And I know Mo made the comment yesterday on the pregame show with Jim Hayes talking about how they're, they're probably going to have to start looking outside the organization. I, I think after that performance last night, I think it's definitely time to start looking outside the organization because let's be honest here. I'd argue you have two guys that you feel comfortable in. And those two guys still make you a bit nervous in Adam Wainwright and John Gant. Carlos Martinez is still kind of the head case. You're not sure if he's going to get a legit start or struggle. KK to me is the bottom dweller in this rotation. And Johan Oviedo, he's given you signs of hope. But, I mean, his last three starts have not been pretty at all. You've had to go to the bullpen before the fifth inning with Johan Oviedo. Johan Oviedo was me when I first got to 101 ESPN. There were signs of promise there, but God, it, it could be ugly at times. I don't think Oviedo's ever. I don't think it's been that bad. But, I, mean, it was, oh, I mean, it was okay. I don't know if we've ever said signs of promise with you, but. He's the puppy, right? He's the puppy dog. I'll make a better comparison. Take two. He's the puppy dog that you bring home where it's like, God, just. It's adorable, and I love everything about it. And then it pees on your but floor you for the first time. you pee on my carpet <laughs> one more time, I'm rubbing your face in it. <laughs> exactly. And Johan Oviedo, he's still learning how to get around and be the dog that you want him to be when he's three. Well, then he should be in the rotation. I'm so, I mean, and I know you have to have use an him, alternative, but right that's now. why you have to go outside the organization and find help. Yeah. Wait, I, I, I took out of this that BKP's on the floor now. Okay, well. Well, new house, you got to break it in. Exactly. Kara's yeah, like, fair. BK, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm sick of these Ikea furnitures. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. He's all over it. Alex doesn't think the Cardinals have enough to get through this without Jack Flaherty, without going outside of the organization. Greg Amsinger of MLB Network told Carriker and Smallman earlier today that he disagrees with Alex's assessment. Yes, you don't want to lose Flaherty. He might be one of the most talented pitchers in the game in terms of raw stuff, but I think the Cardinals can still weather this storm. The the Chicago Cubs are not a slam dunk. They're playing great baseball right now, but I still look at that rotation and I think it's thin. I I still think it's thin. Does that have enough swing and miss in that rotation to weather the next 100 games. We still have over 100 games left. So I still think the Cardinals' depth, including their farm system, will help them win this division. Has, has Greg Hansinger watched the Cardinals rotation? And has he seen the Cardinals' farm system right now? Like, there are, there's not overwhelming guys. You're like, oh, this is the next guy up. Who do you think between the Cardinals and the Cubs has a higher strikeout rate among their starters this year? Say that again? I want to say Cardinals, Cardinals versus the Cubs. Who do you think has a higher strikeout rate from their starting pitchers this year? Actually, I think strikeout I'll, rate. I, think I would say Cubs. Cubs because Gant's not a strikeout guy. KK's not a strikeout guy. Wayno, your can. only strikeout guy is Flaherty. And Wayno, Wayno gets some uh, strikeouts. It's the Cubs. It it's, ain't by much. It, oh. It's by 0.1 percent. Are you really? The Cardinals are 29th in baseball this year in strikeout rate from their starters. It's not last. I, I'm sorry though, but I, I just don't see where Greg's coming from. Uh, they don't have enough to get through this stretch. I agree. I mean, you, you're going to be without, because I heard Katie Wu with you guys yesterday. You're going to be without Flaherty probably until August. You're going to be without Michaelis until. By the way, the Cubs relievers have the highest strikeout rate in baseball this year. Again, check their hats. That's all I'm saying. Michaelis is going to be out until at least August. I don't think we're going to see him again. I mean, those are two legitimate players for you. You probably have another injury pop up. You don't have enough to get through this stretch. I really do think you have to go outside the organization. But here's the problem. And I mentioned this in the break and Tanner said it. You go outside the organization, they're not helping you for at least four weeks. Right? In terms of free agent. Unless you make a trade. That's what I 
I would probably. But who's making look a trade with you right now? I don't know. Washington. Oh wait. No, save it till the deadline. You, if you're gonna make a deal now, it is not for Max Scherzer. It is not for a guy that's gonna come in and be your number two starter. It's a guy that would prevent Johan Oviedo from having to go out there and make consistent starts from you. Yeah. He would probably be somebody that profiles more as a John Gant-ish type of a starter than a Jack Flaherty. You would you you cannot replace Jack Flaherty right now. The guy doesn't exist. Both internally and from outside the organization, you can't replace what a legitimate number one would give you, which is what Jack Flaherty is at this point in his career. So what you hope to do is get somebody in there that gives you a chance. And those guys are available. You could maybe go get Kyle Gibson whenever he gets back from the injured list. He's been pretty good so far this year for the Rangers, and they're terrible, and they're out of it. They're 13 games below 500 But don't you think a team is going to hold the Cardinals to a ransom for that because they know they're in desperate need of something? Like, they're going to want something of substance. And if I'm John Moselak, I'm not going to pay that for a guy who's going to be DFA'd once I'm healthy again. That's the tough part. What do you do here? Because I think you look at the guys available via free agency, but those guys aren't going to be ready for you for a month. You're going to have to negotiate for the next week or so. And then you're going to have negotiate. to negotiate. You're 37 years old. You ain't got a job. You want to play baseball. Here's the money. So let's say it's a couple of days then. Right. So now we've put ourselves. Let's into the weekend. They're Cardinals. You're going to need three weeks for them to ramp up. How many starts do you think you would need from a guy that you signed? Like, let's be under the assumption that they're probably throwing, but not against competition. So let's ramp this up first. Let's let's get through their minor league stint before they get to the majors. They're probably going to start throwing, let's say, this weekend. They'll go down to the minors, probably need three starts down there before you feel comfortable putting them up in a big league game. So you're talking about 15 days. So now we're at, at the earliest, June 21st. And maybe then they're ready to go for the big league club. So now you're talking about June 26th or 27th when maybe they make their first start for here. But talking about the first of July ish when they make their for their debut in a Cardinals uniform. And and I mean, I guess a month that still gives you two months of that until Flaherty and Michael is another month before. But at in that point, are there more options available for you via trade? That's what like there's nobody that can make an immediate impact for this Cardinals team. Nobody. Because then you're, you're basically to the all-star break. The all-star break's what, July 12th this year? Something like that? Yeah. yeah. And so, your trade deadline's July 31st. So really, you're getting a month of a guy before you're going to possibly make that bigger trade. Yeah. So at that point, I, I don't think it makes sense for them to sign somebody. If you're going to improve your rotation, it has to come via trade right now. It's the yeah. only way to do it. I, and I think if you're looking on the trade market, and we went through some names a, a couple of weeks ago, and I know we're going to do a trade deadline tinder a little bit later on. Oh, super baby. swipe for some T-bone over here. <laughs> but like, I, I think if I'm on that market, I'm looking for a guy who can give me innings. I'm not looking for shutout stuff. I'm Absolutely. not looking for a guy who can compete for my second spot in the rotation. That's trade deadline material. I need somebody who can give me consistently six, maybe seven innings every fifth day. You give me that type of person, I... I'll pay what we need to. But again, I think other teams hold the Cardinals to a ransom for that option. Kyle Gibson is that guy. I mean, if you're if you're looking out there, he again, he's on the IL right now. So you literally are not allowed to trade for him yet. But so far this year, he's in 10 starts. He's thrown 60 innings. Is he great? No. 
but he has a 2.2 ERA. That's not sustainable. Kind of like John Gantz, two point or 1.6 or whatever ERA is not sustainable, but it's been throwing 94 as fastball velocity is as high as it's been at any point in his career. Is he using some substances? Maybe. I don't know. There's a bunch of pitchers cross baseball that are, but he's been good this year. If you're looking for a guy that can come in and immediately help the Cardinals, the answer to that question is Kyle Gibson. So that that's the one. There are not a lot of teams that are out of it officially. The other team that I would say is who do the Baltimore Orioles have? John Means, but he is not going to be available. Because get uh, they're the team. They're 18 games below 500. Yeah, like they got to have they're somebody awful. who's on their active roster who could come in and just give you in like Matt Hart. Maybe do you go after Matt Harvey with them? He's not helping them by any means. Is he better than what you currently have? I think he gives you innings. I think he is. I think he's worth a shot. I think Jose's average so far this year about four innings per start. Oh, well, never mind. Is that better? Than, maybe, but is maybe that better than Oviedo. But maybe, <laughs> maybe the Cardinals are putting up the bat signal for the dark he night. Has a he has six point seven ERA and he's averaged four innings per start. I'll stick with Johan Oviedo. Yeah. I don't need to trade for that guy. Hey, Tanner, don't make the Matt Harvey. <laughs> request okay like do some research before you say that Jeez. coming up in about 15 minutes we'll up. talk to our guy luke korak blues insider for nhl.com about what he thinks the blues need to do this offseason coming up next though it was not a great road trip for the cardinals but there were two reasons for optimism we'll tell you what those were coming up on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario Dylan Carlson, fly ball into the corner and right, and it's gone. Just inside the foul pole, a high, towering blast off the bat of Dylan Carlson, his sixth home run. 500 on the road, going out west, you know, we played very good teams. If you go into that, I mean, look, I don't like to, to put limits on anything, you know, you like to go 10-0. and 0. Um, But going 500 on the road on a west coast trip, that's 10 days is a, we can live with playing 500 on the road. Um, and that kind of trip for sure. And it wasn't a perfect trip, and Mike Schultz said it to you right there. It was all right. Gosh darn, we tried. You'll take it. You'll take five and five, given some of the injuries that this team had with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. There were some positives to take out of this road trip. Two of them in particular. The series against Arizona. Well, that was also another. That would be the third, I guess, you could throw into this category, Alex. That's the only one I can think of. The two individuals that I think were... You should be optimistic about coming off of this road trip are Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill's obvious. We've talked about him ad nauseum. We spent basically the entire show yesterday, Alex, when you were out talking about him. In his last seven games, he's basically hitting 400, and he has four home runs and three doubles in those seven games. He's been outstanding. This is the power. This is everything that we've asked for from Tyler O'Neill. Let's spend a little bit of time on Dylan Carlson because I find him to be really interesting right now. The first 43 games of the season, he had three home runs. The power just wasn't there, but he was hitting for an incredible average. He was getting on base at a high clip. He was everything you needed out of a number two hole hitter. Over the last 10 games during this road trip, well, the batting average dipped. It was down to 230 on this trip. He was not taking a bunch of walks, but he started hitting for power. In the 10-game road trip, he hit three home runs, all of which came in the last four games. 
Are you, what do you make of this from Dylan Carlson? I guess is the best way to put it, Alex, because he was hitting for average and then now he's hitting for power and the average is gone. When he was hitting for average, the power wasn't there. What what do you, can can he get to this happy medium? Yeah, I think so. For me, I, I think it's more like pitchers are adjusting to Dylan Carlson and he's adjusting to those pitchers that are adjusting to him, right? Like because at the beginning of the season, it was all just mashing, like home run after home run. We were thinking, okay, this is the guy we all thought it was. Guys start to adjust a little bit, maybe a little more off-speed pitches or a little more high and tight on Dylan Carlson. And he starts to find ways to be more patient at the plate. So for me, it looks like he's just adjusting at his approach, which I think is a really good thing when you when you look at a young outfielder who's trying to make an impact this season. But regardless, he's getting on base, which I think is the important factor. If you get a little bit more power from Dylan Carlson, I think that's important. But if he was solidified as the five or six hole hitter, I'd be looking for more power from Dylan. The fact that he's at the top of your batting order, I think the approach is right because he's just trying to get on base right now. Tommy Edmonds getting on a high on base clip. Dylan Carlson is, and you let the two mammoths go to work in the three and four spot. Yeah, that's how I view it too, is just get on base, especially in that two spot in front of Goldie and Arenado. But I do think he will find that happy medium. I, I'm kind of with you, Alex. I think it's him adjusting to pitchers. And also, too, I think it's just a sign of a young player. He's, what am I going to do to get more power? Okay, I'm going to go all, all out for it, but then I'm going to lose what you talk about. And then if I'm not going to go for it, then I'm going to go more for contact to get on base. I, I think he is just finding that happy medium. Let's not forget, he's only played, and tonight will be game number 90 in his career. So yeah. he's still he's still making those adjustments, trying to find that happy medium. He's also struggled a lot against breaking balls this year. And this is the adjustment that we talked about with Tyler O'Neill yesterday that he made finally. He started to hit breaking balls, and it that was what unlocked the power that we've seen over the last week or so. And that's been the issue so far this year for Carlson, and he's seeing a steady diet of breaking balls now. He's batting 200 against them. He has had basically no power against breaking balls so far this season. And so what are pitchers going to do? They're going to start throwing him a bunch of junk up there, and we saw that a lot last year. He ended up going down, making a couple adjustments. He started hitting it a little bit more. I think you're going to see more of that from Carlson moving forward. But when he's been getting fastballs, that's where this damage is coming off of. What we've seen from him over the last few games, the fastballs that he is seeing, that's where the home runs are coming. His five home runs against fastball so far this year, five of his six have come against the fastball. That's that's where he knows he's going to get it. And there was a piece earlier today on MLB.com about his approach and Yachty's approach and what they've changed this year. Both of them have been way more aggressive on first pitches. And that's something that I am very curious to see if it sustains over the course of the season. If Carlson keeps being aggressive like that, I think that's also where you're going to see his power because you're going to get some first pitch fastballs that are going in there. And then, like you said, Alex, pitchers are going to adjust. They'll start throwing him some breaking balls on the first pitches. I bet you he gets a little bit less aggressive in those spots then, and then it'll keep going in that cycle. But those are the two guys that, for me, are the most intriguing coming off of this road trip is Carlson and O'Neal. O'Neal is obvious for why. Dylan Carlson kind of selling out for a little bit more power has been really interesting to watch over the last year. Other than those two guys, though, it has felt like it's been a road trip from hell for some players. And I was mentioning this to you in the office earlier today, BK, like Tommy Edmond. Yeah, it wasn't a horrible road trip for him, but it definitely wasn't the road trip that we saw or it definitely wasn't the performance we saw before that road trip to where we were talking about a guy who could be considered an all-star this season. A tough road trip for Nolan Arenado. Paul Goldschmidt started to turn it on a little bit more. And then from there, I mean, you lose Harrison Bader. You really don't get the production from Andrew Kisner in the short amount of spurts we've seen or from Yadier Molina. 
The only other one for me that I can say has been a positive off this road trip would be Edmundo Sosa. And he's his production kind of started to and wane the a little bit there in the middle too. of it. Yeah. So like that's that's why it's so hard for me to I mean it's been a positive because for me I still don't feel like he comes out of the lineup when Paul DeYoung's available because he's still impactful at the bottom of your order. But overall, I mean, it's been kind of a road trip from hell for this offense. Yeah, the two guys, we mentioned the the good, Carlson and O'Neal. The bad is Goldie and Arenado. Yeah. Paul Goldschmidt on this road trip, he hit the homer last night, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come moving forward. But he was hitting 212 on this road trip. Nolan Arenado ended up with an OPS 50. When those two guys aren't hitting at a high level, this Cardinals team just doesn't have a ton of offense. It's the way they're constructed. They need the middle of the order bats to come through for them. And for much of this 10 game stretch, they didn't. There's just no other way to put it. Paul Goldschmidt typically around this time of the year starts heating up. The calendar has flipped to June. The weather is starting to warm up a little bit. I think we're going to see more of what we saw last night from him where he had his first home run since May 11th. I think you're going to see more of that. Nolan Arenado's on a slump. And he's he's got to get things kind of turned around a little bit here because he's really struggled of late, and they can't produce offense consistently when he's hitting this way. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Coming up next, Luke Korak's going to join the show. I heard Jamie Rivers, Alex, mention a Kachuk's name yesterday as a maybe possibility for oh, the Blues. We're here now? Maybe. We'll ask Lou Korak what he thinks about Matthew Kachuk and his chances of maybe becoming a blue coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. can Edmonton, New Jersey, and Buffalo have the number one pick? Are they just on a rotation right now? Is that how this is going to work? Look, usually I call conspiracy theory in the NHL draft, but last night made a lot of sense because I think the NHL just felt sorry for Buffalo for how bad their offseason has been. So Edmonton has had the number one overall pick four times in the last decade. You've had twice from New Jersey and two times from Buffalo. So basically, since 2010, if you just guessed one of those three teams was going to have the number one pick, you'd be hitting at like an 80% clip rate right now. This is ridiculous. Sounds about right. And by the way, the number one overall pick hasn't exactly been something to celebrate for many of those seasons. Taylor Hall was not great with Edmonton. Nail Yakupov, baby. Nail Yakupov, my favorite guy ever. Uh, Connor McDavid worked out all right for them, but... It, it's been up and down, to say the least. Uh, let's go out right now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Luke Korak, Blues Insider for NHL.com, joining Alex Ferrario and myself. Lou, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Hello, boys. How are you? We are doing all right. So, Lou, yesterday... I was listening to the fast lane and our dear friend and former blue superstar defenseman, Jamie Rivers said that he, if he was Doug Armstrong would pick up the phone at some point this off season, just to check in with Calgary to see, Hey, you know, you've got Matthew Kachuk. He's got one more guaranteed year on his deal. Would they be interested in maybe making a move there? How realistic or unrealistic do you feel like that would be for the blues? Well, from a Blues perspective, uh, I'd have been making that call yesterday. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 a no-brainer to me. But uh, and you know what? Um, 
I was thinking about this, guys. When when you look at Doug Armstrong, if he's looking to be the one that makes kind of a splashy move, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do it through free agency. I think he's done it. He's got a pretty good track record of doing it via trade. And you always hear him talking about, uh, you know, whether it's just in passing or whether you're asking him a question, you know, just, just something random. You know, he's always mentioning – you know, talking about apples for apples trades. Well, that's probably what you're going to be dealing with here if you're going to do that. And uh, But wouldn't that be uh, just a coup to be able to bring the kid home, you know? And would he, wouldn't he be a great fit for something that you're looking for in a Craig Berube type of a player? Yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to look through the trade route, that would be uh, right up there at the top of my list of something that would be, you know, I, I'd be putting 10 check marks behind that one. So... Oh. Uh, but if, if if you can pull that off, but man, that I, I just don't see that realistically happening right now. Because if you're Calgary, why would you want to, you know, give up a centerpiece to uh, something that you're trying to build there? And you know, I you know Matthew Kachuk's got plenty of great years left in his hockey career. Uh, you're going to have to give up something significant in order to get him back. And are the Blues prepared to do that? I'm not so certain about that. And that's the part that I'm at too, Lou. I don't see them upgrading their needs through free agency when it comes to top-level offense, right? Like, it does seem like the only necessary option is... Landis Cup. Well, okay. That would be fantastic (laughs) if it was true. But it seems... You're going down a road that I was getting ready to go down, but go ahead. And let's start with that then, Lou. I mean, what are some names that you're looking at that make sense for the Blues to upgrade in the most desired area, which seems to be a top-wing left-winger? Well, Gabriel Landeskog checks off everything that you can possibly imagine. I mean, that that that's another no-brainer, okay? And you're talking about, again, a Craig Berube type of a player. Big, strong, physical. We'll go to the net. How many times have we talked about going to the net with with this hockey club? This yeah. guy has this guy will do it in a nanosecond and can score. Can he fight? Yes. Can he be physical? Yes. Will he check? Yes. I mean, he checks off every box that Craig Berube will be looking for. And, uh, you know, I, I know I'm maybe I'm in la-la land here, but uh, think about it. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't you guys like to be penciling in uh, 92, 90, and 57 as a line every night? Pencil it. I'll put it in permanent <laughs> marker, Lou. <laughs> Alex it carries around good, this massive scoring sheet that he has yeah. for every game. he just go ahead and for yeah. every game write it on there before the season. You, you don't even have to worry about it. Just keep that on there 82 for 82 game games. schedule. I know what my top line looks like. Guys, think about it. He's Him and Ryan O'Reilly are buddies, okay? Ryan O'Reilly is kind of the one that helped kind of groom him along when he, when he was a young guy, when he was coming through the system there in Colorado and and they got pretty close together. Now they might not have been bosom buddies when O'Reilly, you know, said that they were going to go out there and beat him, but you know, that's, that's for another discussion here, but you know, guys, he's, he's coming off five and a half million dollar cap hit. Um, Would Colorado be crazy to let their captain get away? And would they be crazy to let, He's a centerpiece. Would they be crazy to let him get away? Yes, but you have to think about it. Nathan McKinnon's going to have a contract due here in, what, two years? Mm-hmm. He's going to get a hell of a pay raise. Kale McCarr is going to get himself a hell of a pay raise this summer. They've got a lot of guys, core pieces on that roster, that are going to be getting significant pay raises here. Are they going to be able to fit in a Gabriel Landeskog in the long term? I'm not so sure, but... 
I'm not just talking from a Blues perspective here. If Landeskog hits the market, there's going to be a tug of war for him. And is that something that Doug Armstrong historically has been known to do? No. But I think in this instance, you're going to have to be right in there and pushing and prodding with everybody else to see what he's looking for and how much he wants. And I, I think the Blues have the resources to make it happen. Will they make it happen? That's a question for another day. Lou, quick follow-up on Landeskog for you. Do you think he's going to want a no-movement clause? And if so, does that completely huh. take the Blues out of the realm of the possibility? Well, you saw what happened with Alex Petrangelo. And I that heard a little something about much, that. Yeah, that was pretty much the end of that. So uh, that's something that we know Doug Armstrong doesn't like to approach and doesn't like to give his players. And if that's something that he's going to be looking for, then I think the Blues are going to be moving on to another door. And let me throw another name out at you guys off of that. Give it to me, Lou. Team. Think about it. Um, might be something that you could, that could pique their interest. Brandon Saad. I'm not saying that's another one that, that that's going to happen for them, but I think he checks off not all of the marks that the Blues would be looking for, not all the marks that maybe a Gabriel Landeskog would, but I think this is a guy that can – significantly help your scoring out, which is something that you need off of that wing position, whether you bring back a Jaden Schwartz or not. And that, that also, that's another piece of this pie that you have to somehow fit in there. How does that fit in there? And how do you fit in trying to get somebody else in that's, you know, you're probably going to have to sign to a significant contract here and how all these pieces work out. So you're dealing with a flat cap. You're dealing with uh, the expansion draft. Who the, the Blues are going to lose somebody they don't want to lose. Let's let's put it that way. That's that's pretty much the case with everybody here. Uh, who are they going to leave exposed? Who are they going to protect? All these pieces kind of tie in hand in hand, and they and they go together. So there's going to be a lot of components here that they're going to have to think about. And uh, you know, but the, but they no matter what happens here, they have to upgrade somehow. They have to upgrade that wing position and they need somebody that can provide them with some offense. Well, and that's where we all kind of land, Lou. Like I would imagine you're with us that believes Doug Armstrong will be aggressive this off season. My question to you though, is because the blues look like they'll probably have the 16th or 17th overall selection in this upcoming draft because of their early exit. And because that farm system seems to be so depleted for the blues, can Doug Armstrong pull off a move to get a top left winger to play with his team without having to give up that first round draft pick? That's a good question. Uh, if you're going to do it through trade, if you're going to do it through, as you guys were talking about earlier with somebody of significance, like a Matthew Kachuk, you're probably talking about giving up a first round pick, not only this year, maybe beyond that, yeah. you know, are you willing to do that? That's a lot to sacrifice. I think, that's one of those areas where the organization needs to think about it. You need to replenish the stock here a little bit. And, you know, they've had to give up some draft picks. They had to give up draft picks to get Ryan O'Reilly. I think that's worked out okay. Um, you've had other pieces. Braden Shen was another one. You made the trade for him. You had to give up some, you know, you had to give up first round pick there as well. I think you need to start thinking about that a little bit here because they do have some prospects that would be of interest and, some young players that would be of interest to other teams. But how often do you want to just keep picking out of that and taking away from those resources that you have? So those are some of the bigger questions that you have to look at here. Are you willing to sacrifice some of that and continue to sacrifice that moving forward? I don't know because, you know, I heard you guys talking earlier about teams that are picking uh, lottery picks. 
when's the last time the Blues had a lottery pick? It's been a long time, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I think it's time that, you know, you got to start thinking in regards to that. What kind of a player are you going to be getting back in return if you're going to be continue to give up some of those high resources that you have? Those are big questions that Doug Armstrong's going to have to answer. Lou Korek is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Lou, the final question that I've got for you, we talk so much about the forwards and especially the left winger that uh, sometimes it gets lost that, hey, the defense was a little bit of an issue this year as well, especially in the postseason. They didn't seem to protect their own net particularly well. Alex has brought up the name Jamie Alexiak about a million times, and it's a good one. Is there anybody else out there that has that size that can bring a little something to the table that makes sense for this team, in your opinion? He's probably the one that jumps out at me right off the bat, and I haven't gotten to the defensive position quite yet, but that's another area that they're going to have to upgrade. And like you just said, I think they need somebody back there that's got a little bit of bite because let's look. Look at it. They've lost players, you know, Go back to the championship season. You know, you lose a Bo Meester. There's no Joel Edmondson there anymore. Um, you've lost some, you know, you've lost some guys, not only with experience and I'm not counting Jay Bo Meester as one of those guys that's going to go out there and knock your block off, but Joel Edmondson did. Uh, <laughs> Petro, you know, if you needed him to scrap, he would scrap and he, and he would, he would claw with you out there. Um, that That's a lot to lose. And I just think there's a, you know, when they were talking about, trying to find their identity. I think the biggest area looking for an identity was on that blue line and it's, it's been changed, no doubt about it, but yeah, that's one of those guys that uh, I was looking at, but you know what? There's going to be other teams that are going to be looking for his services. Again, how much are you willing to pay for a player like that? I'm sure there's going to be some mid grade guys out there that, you know, that could suit their needs. No doubt about it. But Jamie Alexiak's probably one of those guys that does, check off a lot of those things that Craig Berube will be looking for big physical. We've seen him a few times. He actually has some pretty good offensive skill as well. I mean, if you put him in the, in the position to do it, he can do it. So um, I wouldn't be opposed to a move for a guy like that, but again, how much is he going to cost you? That's the big question they're going to have to answer. And how much are they going to be willing to spend on a guy like that? Lou, we always appreciate the time. People can find your work over on your Twitter page at LCORAC10. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today and enjoy the rest of the offseason, my man. Absolutely, boys. Anytime. Take yep. care. See you, you got it. That's Lou Korak joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, if the Blues this offseason were able to acquire Brandon Sod, Jamie Alexiak, and they brought back Jaden Schwartz, would you <laughs> consider that to be a home run offseason for them? Home run, no. Because I don't know if Brandon Saad is a top winger. I think he's a second-line winger. I feel like between him and Jaden Schwartz, I feel pretty good about my left wing. Yes, but I I just don't know what Brandon Saad can do with a team that doesn't have the Miko Ranton and the Nathan McKinnons and Gabriel Landeskogs, right? Like, I think he could be successful if he plays with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. But can he be that net front presence for them that they're desperately in need of? Jaden Schwartz, to me, is a third-line winger going into next season if he's on this team because he's maybe going to give me 10 goals. Then they can't re-sign him. They can re-sign him, but it's going to have to be cheap. I was about to say, not for the money no. that he's probably going it's, to be able to get out there. That, and that's heard, what I meant by that, to clarify. If he's getting 
$3 million. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you can go ahead and re-sign him to be in that role, but he's not going to get that. I could give him 3 or $4 million per year and be fine with it because I think that's what type of player he is. He could play on my second line, but he's not going to overwhelm you on that second line. So that would be a good offseason. Home run, no. I still think if you want a home run offseason, if you want to compete with the Colorado Avalanche, the Nashville Predators, the Winnipeg Jets, you got to go out there and you get yourself a legitimate pencil him in, mark him down with permanent marker, top left winger and so right it's either now, Landeskog or a trade. Yeah. That's what that to me or I mean if you want Ovechkin go for it but it's not going to happen but yeah. <laughs> I take him. Yeah. I've heard of that guy. He's it, pretty good. It's Landeskog. Uh, yeah, well, peaks everyone interest. Uh, it's Landeskog or a trade. And if it's not those, I don't think it's a home run off season. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort <laughs> Service tax line. We will get into some questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You guys ask questions. We'll have some answers for you coming up in about ten minutes or so. The Cubs starting to put a little pressure on the Cardinals. We'll talk about what that could mean for the Cardinals in about ten minutes. But right now, from the three one four. Guys, how do you feel about Colton Pareko right now? As big as he is, I just don't understand why he isn't more physical. He should be an intimidating presence on the back end, but I don't see that from him often enough. Yeah, um, I know that's what a lot of people have been asking for from Colton Pareko. Look, if you're expecting him to be Chris Pronger on the back end, well, you're going to be you're going to be upset every year because that's not who he is. I mean, this is a guy who thanks the officials after the game. This is the guy who he'll pick up pucks after a game and hand it to somebody like he's a really good guy and you're not going to get that nastiness from Colton Pareko now can he use his size a little bit more yeah I think so I think he should be a little more physical but don't take this season and and try and judge him off of that because this injury was a pretty significant one that he had to battle through so I think he'll get more physical I think next year he will return to that legit number one defenseman form but if you're hoping he becomes this nasty defenseman that the Blues need, well, he's not going to be that. Yeah, I'm with you. I, the back injury is the biggest thing for me. And I, I, I'm with you. I think he will be more physical when he's healthy because you could tell he was hurt from the get-go this season. Well, not from the get-go, but you could tell when his from plate dropped uh-huh. basically right away when we could tell he was injured. So I think that back injury played a major part in him having such a down year. That's why I'm not too concerned. This is the least physical you'll ever see him because of that back injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, that... Of course, he's going to be a little less physical. Like he should be. He's probably, in some ways, trying to be he a little shouldn't conservative. Shouldn't have even been paying, playing. Probably he was probably maybe he wanted to be out there, and I think he probably found out that his injury wasn't going to get any worse. So he's played obviously to help his team, but yeah, he was battling. He out was there. nowhere near a hundred percent. You could see it. He was fighting himself skating, and that is not the Colton Pareko that we're used to seeing. Yeah. So I, this is probably as poor as you will see his performance in his career. I would expect a big time bounce back from him and that's going to have such a trickle down effect for the blues in their defense next year Mm -hmm. if he becomes even if it is not the number one defenseman that we thought of with petro if he can be a solid top defenseman kind of that distinction that we make in baseball between the ace and a number one starter if he can be that top defenseman even though he's not a number one shutdown guy man that has so much of an effect on justin falk and tory krug and if scandela's back that those are the things that it really helps. Yeah, here's the reason why I'm so high on Jamie Alexiak and why I keep bringing his name up. He's a left-handed defenseman, 
And I think what would benefit the Blues is if you could find somebody who could plays significant ice time with Colton Pareko on that number one pairing. And look, Jamie Alexiak by no means is a number one defenseman. But I think if you put that big size with a Colton Pareko. Joel Edmondson, wasn't he the main pairing yeah, for years? Carl with Gunnarsson Pareko? was playing with, with Alex uh, Petrangelo. Yeah. So if you could get Jamie Alexiak, who's six foot seven, 255 pounds to play in the back end, allow Colton Pareko to jump up into offense, that makes Tory Krug and Justin Falk better because those two guys, Justin Falk looked great with an in extended amount of playing time. Tory Krug did not. Tory Krug is more of a specialist. 15, yeah. Get him back into that role and put somebody there who can play significant time like a Jay Bomeister with Colton Pareko. It reminds me of the Cardinals, what we had talked about for so many years, where it's like, hey, if you've got guys like Tyler O'Neill batting sixth, you feel really good about where your lineup's at because he can help you there. Yeah. But if he's your cleanup hitter and you're coming into the season with him expecting to be that as a very unproven player, not good. Yeah. That's not the role that you want to see him in. And that's kind of how I feel about guys like Tory Krug. Just don't don't overexpose him on the ice. And if you do that, you'll be in a good spot. Yeah. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers from the 618. Guys, what about Barclay Goudreau? Do you think he could be a fit for the car or for the blues rather? He is a free agent after the season. He had 14 uh, assists, six goals, so not a huge producer for the Lightning this year. He's a fourth line player for you. And right now, you go out and get any fourth line player you want, they're not going to help you. He might. That role that you were talking about for Jaden Schwartz, third line left winger, maybe he could give that to you. Maybe, but I don't know how he works in this system. I know how Jaden Schwartz works in the system. He will be cheaper, be cheaper. than Jaden that, Schwartz. That's what I mean. If you're looking for being somebody that's cost effective and you're just trying to reshuffle the board yeah, but on the you left know what? side. Like, I don't need a Barkley Goodrow because I got a lot of these guys that, you know, I got a Sammy Blay who needs more playing time on the third and fourth line. I got a Clem Costin who needs more playing time on the third and fourth line. Robert Thomas is going to be on the third line. I don't need one of these guys. I, I need guys who can, I need guys who could play to the same level as an Oscar Sundquist and an Ivan Barbashev who can support offensively. And I don't know if Barkley Goodrow can do that. That's interesting. So, I, I'm curious, Alex, who are the guys right now that are on the roster that you're penciling into the top six next year? Like you feel good about the fact that they're up there, not just by default. They have right. to be in your top six. Who are the top six forwards on a good team that are currently on the blue? Toronto, roster? Riley, Shen, Cairo. So you need two more guys. So I need two more guys. Side. You got Tarasenko who will be up there, but I don't know in what capacity or if he will be up there. Um, Jaden Schwartz, obviously Mike Hoffman's a name, but those guys don't scream top six forward to me right now. Robert Thomas can be as well, but I think Robert Thomas is a third line center until he bumps somebody out of that position. So yeah, I think there's two opportunities or there's two areas that need to be fixed and it's the left wing on both the first and second line. Interesting. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Last one for you guys from the 618. Is it Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk? Orlando Skog or bust for the Blues this offseason, in your opinion? No, because there are other names out there. I, I mean, Jack Eichel is going to be a name that that's going to be out there and will will kind of be rumored for the St. Louis Blues for a while. Uh, you know, I still think there are other good names that can become a 30 goal scorer for the Blues if you go out there and get them. I mean, I had um, what's his face from the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Getzloff. No, not Getzloff. No. He's like 38 years old. No, it's the winger that just completely surpassing my name right now but 
there are other options that can play top wing for you. It's just going to come down to a significant. Ricard Raquel. That's who it was. Yes, thank you, Ricard Raquel. There, there are guys out there. And look, in free agency, I think there are guys. Brandon Sod's one of them. Kyle Palmieri is one of them. But in terms of trade market, there are options, but you're going to have to come up with some creative moves for you to go get one of those guys. It might be those guys are bust for that legit number one top line left winger. You can find other guys that'll be potentially on that second line that you feel great about as your left wingers. It might be those guys are bust for the top line that we were talking about. Yeah, I think so. But again, there there will be names that come out from teams that you didn't expect. Because look, there are going to be teams that get to get bumped out of the playoff. Toronto's already one of them that could be in the rumor mill situation. There are going to be other teams that get bumped from the playoffs in the second round that say, oh, we need to change some things up. And then the Blues could strike fire with one of those guys. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to play a game of trade deadline tender for the Cardinals. Who are the names that are out there that are available for the Cardinals? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, are the Cubs starting to put some pressure on the Cardinals? It's possible. We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They've got enough like pedigree in their lineup to actually make a run deep into the postseason. So this isn't like the Giants a couple years ago where I thought they needed to trade everyone, including Madison Bumgarner when his stock was high. I think if the Cubs keep playing well, they've won 9 of 10. This is a club that could give the Dodgers and the Padres, as we just saw this week, uh, a run for their money in October. Okay. The Cubs are a concern for the the Cardinals. I do agree with Greg Amzinger's assessment there. Panic button? Not there. You're hitting it? No. Okay, that was Tanner. The Cubs are better than I expected them to be. Their offense has turned things around a bit. Their pitching has been much better than I think even the biggest supporter of the Cubs would have expected coming into the season. And they've gone on a bit of a hot streak. They're 32 and 23 right now. They just swept the San Diego Padres, which I certainly did not see coming. They've won 15 of 19, including six straight series now. They're pretty good. This is a team that's going to have to be reckoned with throughout the season, and I do not believe that at this point they can sell their fan base on trading away their star pieces. They've got to give this one last shot of being able to go for it with their guys that are still with them. Does this change anything for you, Alex, when it comes to the Cardinals? Does it put pressure on them to make a move earlier than otherwise would be expected? What what does the Cubs' recent hot stretch mean for the Cards? Personally, I don't think it means anything. Uh, I mean, a team can go on a hot streak and a team can go on a cold streak. We just we're seeing that with the Cardinals right now. I mean, they were one of the hottest teams in baseball and that's re- recent road trip. They kind of fell off the planet Earth. Um, the Cubs are healthy right now, which is the other thing. Like when injuries pile up, which they always do in a season, that's when you start to really see what type of team they are. We're seeing that with the Cardinals now. So as much as I want to see the Cardinals make a move and say, yeah, go out there because the Cubs and the Reds and the Brewers are all playing well, you got to compete. I don't think that does much for them because at the end of the day, the Cardinals are still expected to be a playoff team. They're still expected to be a team that's going to compete for that top spot in the NL Central. So I think it's a matter of focusing on your own thing and let the Cubs do their own thing. I'm kind of with you. I, the pitching for the Cubs is a problem, and I get it. Ours is a problem, too. But when you get Flaherty back, you have an ace. To me, the Cubs don't have an ace. The Cubs' bullpen is good. Your bullpen has three solid pieces there, and then it comes down to the lineup. When you're healthy, I will take the Cardinals' lineup over that Chicago Cubs' lineup. 
and uh, it's going to come down head to head. So far, you've lost what two or three to them, and that's the only time you've played. And they're coming up here soon. So I think there's no need to panic yet. I, it will be interesting to see how you compete with the Cubs on the road uh, next weekend. And then you have them right before the All-Star break, too. That'll be a telling sign, in my opinion. You know how when you ask the Magic 8-Ball, um, sometimes you get the response that says, like, ask me a little later on? It's kind of where I'm at with this on the Cubs. I always get that response. <laughs> if, if you, if you ask me this again two weeks from now, I'll be able to give you more firm of an answer. The Cubs' next four games are against San Francisco in San Francisco. That's going to be a tough test. Then they have three more on the road at San Diego once again. And then the the series that Tanner just mentioned against the Cardinals in Chicago. At the end of that 10-game stretch, I'll be able to give you a pretty firm answer on what I think of the Chicago Cubs compared to the Cardinals. Because the Cardinals are going through a rough stretch here as well. Both of these teams are going to be able to tell me a little something over the next 10 games or so. The Cardinals are beat up. They've got some tough games coming up. Can they find a way to go 5-5 five and five or so in this stretch? It's what they need to do. The Cubs are completely healthy. They've got a really tough stretch going up against teams that are direct competitors for the postseason with them. Can they go at least six and four or so, seven and three, to show that they are worthy of being a, a, a real threat in this division? If they do, that's when I will say the Cardinals are probably going to have to make a bigger move than expected to be able to win this division. And if you don't win this division, guys, that's when things get a little dicey. I'll be very curious what the wild card race looks like in the National League if they're not able to win this division because that that NL West looks really good right now. And if you're having to compete with the Giants, Padres, and Dodgers just to be able to get in for the right to play in the postseason on a one-game playoff game, that's where things could get tough for this Cardinals team. I think what it's going to come down to is who wins the trade deadline. I really do, because the Cubs are a team that's going to be on the cusp of, do we keep these guys or do we sell them to get pieces so that we don't have to blow it all up? And then you'll have the Reds, who will more than likely be going into that trade deadline thinking, okay, well, let's add to some pitching depth because we got the offensive talent. The Brewers are probably going to be looking for some offense. So it comes down to who makes the bigger splash at the trade deadline. Because for me, the team that's aggressive is the team that wants to win the NL Central. A team that stands pat and says the overall cliche of, oh, well, look, we're getting this guy and that guy back, so that's winning the trade deadline. No, that's not how this works. You're going to have to be the most aggressive team because the NL Central is going to be the tightest race in all of these divisions. For what it's worth, when I heard John Mosellock speak the other day, it was the first time that I have felt a sense of urgency from the Cardinals front office. Injuries are mounting for this team, and you know we're trying to do what we can to work through that, putting a lot of stress on our minor league system as well. So, you know, it may have to be where we have to start looking outside the organization, see if we can't get some some supplemental help here. But, you know, clearly it's 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 uh, we're, we're feeling stressed right now. That's the first time I've heard anybody from the front office come out and be like, yeah, we might have to add something from outside of our organization. It's early. They're going to want to see what Johan Oviedo looks like for probably at least a start or two. But we're getting to the point of, especially with the Cubs playing the way that they have and the Brewers still kind of nipping at the heels of the Cardinals, we're getting closer and closer to the Cardinals having to make a big decision. And that is where trade deadline tender comes in. It is time to play the game that is sweeping the nation. Or super sweeping it. Trade deadline tender is coming up next, including some of the best trade deadline or June acquisitions that the Cardinals could make. We'll do it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 
I think you're going to have to find some some more certainty. And it doesn't have to be Max Scherzer, who everyone wants to you know link to St. Louis because he's from there. Like it's going to be the last minute before the the Nationals decide they're going to move Scherzer if yep. they move him at all. So you know, find some other guy. Angels, you go to Alex Cobb as an example, or even a Jose Quintana, somebody that can eat some innings. You're not going to replace Flaherty on the trade market. Oh boy, that was Jim Duquette on MLB Network Radio, former MLB general manager earlier today, basically saying, hey, forget the Max Scherzer conversations. No! Set your sights a little lower, Cardinals fans. Okay. And that's what we're going to do today with Trade Deadline Tender. Put together their way too early list of the top 40 trade candidates. So some guys that are position players that could make sense for the Cardinals include Mitch Haniger, David Peralta, Trey Mancini. We're going to set those aside for a moment because we are going to continue talking about the starting pitching. Let's be honest, that's the most urgent need for this and team right now. only one super swipe, right? So Timo doesn't just get ridiculous whoa, whoa. over here? Correct, because he's going to be super swiping on Can't everybody. Do that to every pitcher who can throw. Yeah, if they can throw at least six innings, Tanner's going to be out and here super swiping. And then throw him into the hey, circle of we, trust. If we, oh, we could. No. If we would have done my super swipes in the offseason, we wouldn't have these concerns, would we now? Yeah, we would have. Those guys were terrible. Most of them stunk. The, oh, one guy, the one guy hadn't even pitched yet this season because he's been Walker's terrible. Walker's been great. That's and been, now he's hurt. And now he's hurt. And who was the other Damn. one that he wanted so bad? Jake Odorizzi. Yeah, Jake Odorizzi hasn't even seen the mound yet this season, and you were super swiping on him. Corey Kluber, who I super swiped on, threw a no-hitter. Yeah, and then hurt. got hurt. <laughs> hey, at least he got the no-hitter. There's a theme here. All right, let's start with their number one player as a potential trade target. This is according to MLBTradeRumors.com. They've got John Gray. He is a pitcher for the Colorado Rockies right now. He is a free agent after the season. He's making $6 million this year. He has started 11 games. He has thrown 60 innings. He has so far this year a 3.7 ERA. And again, he pitches in Colorado. That's pretty darn impressive. Guys, are you swiping to the right? If you like it, left if you don't. On John Gray, the starting pitcher from the Rockies. I'd swipe right on this. The problem is I think you're going to get fleeced in this trade because of the Nolan Arenado one. Like, they're not going to just give up John Gray for nothing, even if he is a a free agent after this year. You're not going to be bringing him back because I think he's going to cost you too much, and I don't know if he's a legit number two, but I'd swipe right because right now you need innings, and at least John Gray's giving innings this season for the Rockies. So, yeah, I'd swipe right. I'd swipe right, too. I'd have concerns about him coming out of Colorado, too, because oh, come on. he's pitching well now. We've heard that narrative before, uh, Nolan yeah, Arenado. No, pitching's way different compared to hitting in Colorado. Is so it? I will swipe right, but I do have some concerns. I, I think he's just on a hot spot. I don't know if he's going to continue what he's doing now. He's a perfectly fine pitcher. He comes in, and he's the guy that you're missing right now. He can be a when everybody's healthy. He's probably still in your rotation. He's a guy that would be a number four starter on a good team. Yeah, so yeah, three. Yeah, sure. Like that 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 kind of borderline three mm-hmm. four starter. I would absolutely swipe to the right on John Gray. I think he's probably the best option available for the Cardinals right now. So I'll swipe to the right on John Gray. I think he would be a very interesting possibility for the Cardinals. All right, next one up, Matthew Boyd. He is signed this year for six and a half million dollars. He is arbitration eligible next year. So you'd think probably eight to ten million dollars is what he's going to get in arbitration. So you would have one more year of control. He's also a lefty. He is 20 or 30 years old right now. He's a pitcher for the Tigers. He started 11 games, 62 innings. So he's not going super deep into games with a three nine ERA. 
Alex, are you swiping to the right or left on Matt Boyd, the starting pitcher for the Detroit Tigers? I'm swiping left on him because if this is a trade deadline move, I don't think he helps you for the stretch run. I don't think he's that number two starter for you. I think John Gray's better than Matt Boyd. Oh, definitely. Um, the good thing about Boyd is he doesn't walk a lot. 18 walks compared to 51 strikeouts. But again, I'm, I'm not trading for a guy who you're probably going to have to give up a lot for because Detroit's going to t- want. Especially with another year of control. Exactly. And you're getting a guy who can give you, what, five innings a game? Like, you got plenty of those right now. So I'm swiping left. I don't think Matt Boyd helps. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm swiping left, too. I don't know if he helps this year. He's like a five starter for you maybe next year. We have pitching coming up through the pipeline. I get it. He helps now, which is very important, but I'm going to swipe left. He's like a five ERA guy. And as you mentioned, doesn't go very deep. I would swipe to the right if he's a direct replacement for KK. If I think that I need a lefty in my bullpen and KK is a guy that profiles to do that. Now, I don't know. I don't know if he can or not. The Cardinals would have more information on that than I do. But if Matthew Boyd could immediately go into the rotation and replace what KK is giving you and do it a little bit better He's probably somebody that I would be interested in. So I'd swipe to the right. I do wonder how much it would take to get him because of that extra year of control. But he's somebody that I would at least have some interest in. He, he's not bad. All right. Next one up is Tyler Anderson. He pitches for the Pirates, so they might not be willing to trade with you. He's 31 years old. He is signed this year for about two and a half million dollars. So this would be a super cheap deal. He started 10 games for him, has gone about 60 innings as well. 4-6 ERA. He hasn't been great. God, I hope this list get, gets better. I can't promise you that. Tanner, are you swiping to the right or the left on the lefty Tyler Anderson as a trade deadline acquisition? I think I'm going to swipe left on him, too. I, I'm not, Tyler Anderson, to me, is kind of like Matthew Boyce, just on a one-year contract. Sure, he is cheaper, and he can come and help now. But I'm looking at someone that if I go and acquire him, I have confidence he's going to be in my rotation. Even when he's healthy, even as if it's a four or a five, to me, you acquire him. He's not a starter when everybody's healthy and back. So I'm going to swipe left. Frankly, I had to look this guy up because I thought you made this name up. Is there anything that's more disrespectful on Tinder than swiping right? Like, is there a super swipe right? Because I'd super swipe. No, I'd super swipe right. Right. right if you like it. Oh, left I'm sorry. Don't. Left. Because there's a super swipe to the it's left. Like, yeah, <laughs> okay. we, can, we can make it up for I'm you, I'm super man. swiping to the left on this guy because you're pitching with the Pirates, and that's that's bad. I don't know how much his defense is helping him. I'm not going to pretend like I've watched a lot of his that's, starts this year. I don't think he's year. real. I think this is made up. <laughs> he pitched for the Rockies once upon a time. Oh, well, can I can I swipe left on John Gray now, too? I, I'm out on him. I have no interest. Uh, I'm, I'm not... I'm not going down that route. The next one for you guys is Kyle Gibson. This is somebody that we've talked about in the past. He's probably one of my favorite possibilities for the deadline. So I'll go ahead and say this now. I'm going to swipe to the right on Kyle Gibson. Um, He is a local kid. He ended up going to Mizzou. Oh, that's why you're swiping oh, right on. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Come on now. I'm shocked he didn't super swipe. He is signed through next year. He played for the Royals too. He is signed through next year. He played mostly for the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> Just going to gloss over. Okay. He's with the Texas Rangers. He's hurt right now. He's on the injured list. So you couldn't uh, trade for him at this moment, but he's gone an average of six innings per start. He has a 2.3 ERA. Alex, you swipe into the right or left on my guy, Kyle Gibson. The, boy, the injury makes me a little concerned, but I'm swiping right because I think he's at least in the John Gray category of he gives you somebody who can work well. You know who he kind of reminds me of? Kyle Loesch back in the day. Like, you get him here, not a lot of expectations, and he come here and just deals. So 
I'd swipe right on Kyle Gibson because I think you might be able to get him for cheap from Texas. And on top of that, I think he could actually provide you something. But again, this guy's not giving you a whole lot of innings either. So I'm not really sure what Six you're getting. Six innings per. I'll take that. Yeah, it's better than what the other two were able to give you. And I'm, the one that you made up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to swipe left. The one that you made up. I'm swiping left because the injury concerns me. We've already got a bunch of injury-prone pitchers. We've got Flaherty who's out. You've got Michaelis who's been hurt all year long. I, that concerns me, him being on IL right now. So I'm going to swipe left. He's added some spin rate to his fastball voice. And he's apparently cheating. Oh, so somebody needs to check his hat. Then. <laughs> I'm, I'm into that. Uh, Kyle Gibson, you know, I'm swiping to the right on him. He's he is somebody that could help them, not just for the here and now, but for next year as well. He's 33 years old, so he's a little bit up there in age, but he's somebody that I would absolutely oh, be interested seriously, in. Seriously, does this list get any better? Because I'm getting to the point where I'm just thinking of opting out of Tinder and checking out another a, dating website. I would super swipe on one of these. I've got two more for you, <laughs> and it doesn't get a ton better. Next one up is Michael Pineda. He is on a one-year $10 million deal right now. He is a righty. So far this year, he's made nine starts. He's averaging about five innings per start. He has a 3.4 ERA for the Minnesota Twins. Alex, are you swiping to the right or the left on Michael Pineda as an option for the Cardinals at the deadline? Hasn't he dealt with injuries in the last couple of years, too? Yes. Yeah, no, I'm swiping left on this one. Don't give me another. Like, I'm not going to trade something. And plus, why is Minnesota going to give up on this guy? I mean, if they're competing in this one. So they, they've been bad this year. Then I'd go for their ace. He's 22 and 33. You're going for Barrios? Yeah. And good luck. Well, why, why am I going to go for a guy who gets hurt and gives me five innings if I could go for a guy who's better than that? So I'm swiping left on Pineda. I don't think he helps. I'm with you. I'm going to swipe left, too. <laughs> okay. I think he is someone, though, that the Cardinals would look at, but I would swipe left. I would swipe to the right if it's not much. If he's if he's cheap at the deadline and doesn't take you much to be able to go get him, he's somebody that can help the Cardinals. He's, he's better than what they have currently in that fifth, roster, or fifth rotation spot. All right, last one for you. I think this is the one that Tanner's going to swipe right on. I don't think I would. Danny Duffy. He's a lefty. He's 32 years old. He is entering the final year of his contract. And he has a 1.9 ERA so far this year for the Royals. He's averaging about six innings per start. But he's hurt. He has a flexor tendon issue. He's on the injured list. Those always. Are you guys swiping to the right or the left on Danny Duffy as a starting option for you? I'm swiping left because the injury is what concerns me. Who's the guy you're going to super swipe on then? I was going to super swipe on Ian Kennedy to add to the bullpen. Oh, my God. Super oh my God. swipe. That's your, your super swipe. He was going to put him in the circle of trust, BK. You know He's he was really going good, to do though. that. I don't care. I, well, back to Danny Duffy real quick. I would swipe left because he's hurt in the flexor tendon. Been down that road, so swipe left for me on yeah. him. Swipe, super swipe you guys left hate everybody again. That's available. That's because like these John names Gray. are terrible. Yeah, I picked John Gray. Why is Max Scherzer's name not on this list? Because <laughs> it's not available, man. I'll super swipe on Scherzer. No, these are terrible. None of these guys help you. They do though. No, they They're, don't. The, the thing you've got to remember is: is this guy better than KK or Johan Oviedo? Yeah, but two that's of these, what you're comparing. But them two to. of these guys are injured. One of these guys can't give you more than five innings, and another and one this you one made is up. dead. Tyler <laughs> Anderson's not even a real pitcher. You made him up. This list sucks. Does Mitch Haniger throw? No, he he has a good arm, but no, don't think he's going to start hey, for if, you. If Carpenter can have a zero ERA, so can Hanniger. John Gray, I would be interested in. Matt Boyd would be fine if the cost isn't exorbitant. Kyle Gibson would be a good addition for this team, and Michael Pineda improves what they currently have. Well, Ian Kennedy would be a super swipe. Mo, stay out of the trade market.
Yeah, let's see more of what they have currently. It's going to be great. Stay out of the trade market. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. we'll ask Keith Costas of MLB Network what he thinks of the trade market when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, I didn't come up with the list of pitchers that are available at the deadline. Yeah, you did. That was MLB trade rumors. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at baseball teams for not having good pitchers. <laughs> it's not my fault that there aren't good pitchers available. It'll happen sooner or later, right? Like, there's got to be better names. Yeah, his name's Max Scherzer, and we'll see oh, July 31st baby. if he's available. Unfortunately, right now, he is not. And so the list of guys that you could acquire is not particularly intriguing. We're going to ask our friend Keith Costas, though, MLB of MLB Network, about that list. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line right now. Keith, we appreciate the time today, man. Hopefully, you can help us improve the Cardinals roster. I don't know. I think you guys just stole all my thunder. Don't blame me for <clears throat> there not being good pitchers in the league was basically my entire take for this interview. So I, I've got nothing left in the tank. <laughs> okay, so is, is that pretty much where we're at? Like, we, we went through the list. MLB <laughs> trade rumors put out the, the top 40 possibilities of who could be traded at the deadline. I mean, it's guys like John Gray and Matt Boyd and Tyler Anderson, Kyle Gibson. It It's not super inspiring. Is Is that pretty much where we're at? There's just not a whole lot of options out there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, you guys mentioned Scherzer, and that's going to be the one that people kick around for the next uh, for the next couple months leading up to the deadline. But yeah, you've kind of got a lot of those mid tier type of pitchers. I mean, one guy that we talked about on MLB Network this morning is Jay Happ up in Minnesota. He had a couple terrible starts against the White Sox, who just crushed left handed pitching. I think they've only lost two or three games against the left handed starter since the beginning of last year. But you take those two starts out, and he's been pretty good. But Again, if we're breaking down Jay Happ's splits against lefties and righties as a potential acquisition six weeks down the road, it's not a very deep pool of pitchers we're talking about here. So, yeah, I would agree with you guys that the list is uh, is fairly underwhelming, at least as it stands right now. Keith, how realistic is Max Scherzer for St. Louis Cardinals fans? Because from now until July 31st, that's the only name that's going to keep coming up. And we see it on the text line every day. But I would imagine Washington isn't just going to easily walk away from Max Scherzer. Yeah, it's hard to imagine just given what the what the what the Nationals MO has been over the last decade or so with Mike Rizzo at the helm. It's hard to imagine them being sellers, especially with a guy like Scherzer, who they paid all that money to and given the relationship with the agent, you know, it's been Scott Boris Central in DC for for quite a while. Um but yeah, I mean the Nationals were obviously in similar position to where they're at right now in 2019 and ended up winning the World Series. So there's still plenty of time between now and the deadline. I do think there's going to be a lot of pressure to move him just because, like we talked about, he's going to be the big fish in a not particularly deep pool. So it's going to be pretty tough for them to look at their future and not at least consider what they might be able to fetch for a guy like Max Scherzer. But even though it seems to make sense on paper, I think that a lot of people just kind of have the feeling that, man, it's hard to imagine Mike Rizzo moving a piece like that from Washington. Keith, and I know it's hard to look into the past and say, oh, well, you missed out on an opportunity because you really didn't know what was going to happen, especially all these injuries for the Cardinals. But from the amount of guys that were moved around this offseason, when you talk about Blake Snell and you Darvish and Trevor Williams and a couple of other names, do you think the Cardinals missed out on jumping in on one of those names to help their rotation this year? Yeah, I mean, I guess in hindsight they did, but I think the thing that we have to remember is that there was so much unknown coming into the season, and really still is so much unknown as we 
get into the meat of the schedule with about 60 games under our belt at this point. There was so much just kind of uncertainty about how guys were going to bounce back from the shortened season, how creative teams were going to have to be with their pitching, how much injuries were going to come into play. So I can understand that some teams, including the Cardinals, might have taken a more kind of wait-and-see approach and didn't think this was the year to necessarily go all in on, on – or not all in, but maybe, you know, make moves around the edges with their pitching and just kind of go forward with what they had. They obviously have plenty of arms, even if they're some young and unproven guys. So I can understand where they were coming from, which, you know, I think the big question for them now is when do we see some of that depth and that prospect depth? When do we get to see Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor? And maybe that was their thinking going into the season, knowing that they had a couple of those guys – in their back pocket that are really high-end, talented pitchers that could be factors in the second half. So that remains to be seen, obviously, but I have to think that that at least played a factor into their thinking in the offseason. Keith, if the Cardinals, we're talking to Keith Costas of MLB Network here on 101 ESPN. Give him a follow on Twitter at his name, Keith Costas. If we're kind of operating under the assumption that at best it's unlikely that Washington's going to end up trading Max Scherzer at the deadline, does that make it more likely that the Cardinals should make a deal sooner rather than later to upgrade what their back end of the rotation looks like right now without Flaherty and Michaelis? Yeah, I mean, and we don't even talk about Dakota Hudson. I know yeah, that's old point. news at this point, but basically missing three-fifths of the rotation as it was as it was set up going into last season. So, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how some of these guys respond as they get, uh, as they get chances. I mean, obviously we've seen plenty of Oviedo, but maybe he can find his footing with sort of a more consistent role, assuming that he's a guy they, they go to on a fairly regular basis while Flaherty's sidelined. So, yeah, I mean, in theory, it would be nice to see if they could go out and make a move. But like we talked about, I'm just not sure what's there and how much teams are going to be motivated to move before the deadline in terms of the guys that are going to be sellers. Keith, you, the Cardinals started this 10-game road trip, and you looked at it thinking that they were the top team in the NL Central, and they were. And then the Chicago Cubs decide to light it on fire and just start blowing away the competition. Where are you at right now in terms of the NL Central, where the Cardinals stand? Well, I think when we talk about the Cardinals, obviously one of the big talking points has been the bullpen and how the walk rate and just the workload for their big three. I think Reyes, Gallegos, and uh, and Cabrera have thrown about 45% of the innings at this point. And unsustainable has been a word that you hear constantly when the Cardinals pitching is talked about. And as good as the Cubs have been recently, this is just simply unsustainable. I mean, their bullpen is on a crazy, crazy run right now. I think they've given up two earned runs in their last 60 innings or so. So as good as they've been, I mean, the Cubs are not going to be able to keep this up. It wasn't that long ago that the Cubs bullpen was basically talked about the same way as the Cardinals. They had the highest walk rate in the majors from their relievers through the first month or so of the season. And they've obviously turned things around here. So they're on a hot streak right now, but I don't necessarily think the Cubs are going to run away with this division. And then Milwaukee, I mean, I thought coming into the season, Milwaukee and the Cardinals were pretty similar, but that was contingent on Christian Yelich being Christian Yelich and Keston Hira getting back to being the guy that he was as a rookie. And that just hasn't happened. I mean, Yelich is barely above league average as a hitter this year. Obviously, he's been nicked up with some injuries, and back injuries are always concerning in any sport, but certainly for a hitter in baseball. But you hear uh, Craig Council the other day talk about Keston Hira. I mean, he just flat out said he hasn't had a good day since he's been back. That's that is not what you want to hear for the guys in the middle of that lineup. So I guess what I'm getting at is that while the Cubs are hot right now and the Cardinals are obviously reeling, I don't necessarily think there's any team in this division that has the horses to really run away with it, and that includes the Cubs. So Cardinals certainly have a lot of problems on their hands right now, and it's kind of tough to to be optimistic given what's going on the last four or five days. But I also think that playing in the Central gives them a little bit of breathing room. It's certainly not the NL West. 
Keith Costas of MLB Network joining us here on 101 ESPN. Keith, when you look at the NL Central, I'm curious as a little bit of a follow-up question to that. Do you view this as a, a one playoff spot division? I mean, I guess you could say the same of the NL East potentially. Are we going to get San Francisco, San Diego, and LA out of the West, and then the other two divisions are just going to get the divisional winner in? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to you have to work under that assumption right now. I mean, conventional wisdom, if you told somebody coming into the season that the three best records in the National League were going to be from the NL West early in the season, I think people would assume, oh, well, San Francisco's going to fade. But it's hard to count them out when at this point in the season they've got the best record in the game. So, I, yeah, I don't think that any of those teams are going anywhere anytime soon. Obviously, the Dodgers and the Padres are the favorites coming into the year, and I think they'll be there at the end. But the Giants... I think the Giants have a real claim. You know, record says they're the best team in the National League, but all things being equal, I think they have a legitimate claim to being the third best team in the National League right now. So I would agree with you that that is probably the most likely scenario as it stands today that we get three teams out of the West. Keith, what do you think happens with the Chicago Cubs, though? And, I mean, they seem to be the most intriguing one going into this trade deadline, of course, with the uncertainty of Baez and Rizzo and Chris Bryant, but also three guys who continue to just create offense for the Chicago Cubs, which puts them in first place. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable what's happened with Bryant. I mean, we talked earlier about kind of that assumption with Yelich and Hira. If the Brewers could get those guys going in the middle of the lineup, what they could do. But I don't think anybody talked about Chris Bryant as even a possibility to be doing anything close to what he's done, which is kind of crazy because Chris Bryant at his peak was every bit as good as Christian Yelich at his peak. You know, maybe Yelich had a little bit louder numbers, but Bryant was a guy who was a top 10 player for three, four years in the beginning of his career. And people just wrote him off after what's happened to him over the last 18 months or so. So it is interesting. The Cubs are in kind of a tough spot. On the one hand, they're leading the division. They're hot as a firecracker right now. Bryant's having an MVP caliber season. On the other hand, you know, most people thought he was going to be moved this season. So they're sort of in a, between a rock and a hard place here. On the one hand, they can get extreme value for Chris Bryant, but can you really think about making moves if you've got a chance to win the division, which I didn't think any, I don't think anyone thought was a possibility coming into the year. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to bring all of these guys back and basically just run back this same core that they've had for five or six years for the next five or six years. A, I don't think it's financially feasible, and B, I don't think it would be a good baseball move to just bank on that many players going into the second half of their career. But, yeah, the next six weeks are going to have a gigantic effect on sort of the next 10-year trajectory of the Cubs based on what they do or don't do with Bryant. And I think that's probably one of the biggest storylines to follow for the league at large over the next couple months. Final question that I've got for you, Keith. Uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about Tyler O'Neill and the stretch that he's on right now. He's batting 400 since returning from the IL. He has seven extra base hits in those seven games, including four home runs. You have more of the national perspective on this, so I always appreciate hearing from you guys. What have you made of Tyler O'Neill this season and what appears to be his breakout season? Yeah, it's funny. I think last time I talked with you guys, we spent the majority of the interview basically coming up with Tyler O'Neill replacements. We were talking all <laughs> yeah. about who can they get in the outfield, who can hit in the middle of this lineup, and now here's Tyler O'Neill putting all the tools together, but yeah, as far as the, as far as the national perspective, obviously I've been aware of Tyler O'Neill for a long time as a Cardinal fan, but it's funny you frame it that way because the last two days I've had extended conversations with some of my colleagues at MLB Network who are kind of like, you know, who is this guy? I mean, obviously they know the name Tyler O'Neill. He's been around for a couple of years now, but I think people are just now waking up to the kind of talent that he has. Who knows how long 
he'll be able to sustain it. I mean, obviously he's been susceptible to, to strikeouts in the past and a lot of swing and miss, which can lead to some prolonged slumps, as we all know. But, yeah, I mean, Tyler O'Neill looks like the guy that they always hoped he would be, you know. And it's funny, we sp- how much time have we spent talking about these dynamic players that the Cardinals have given, in the, given away in the outfield, whether it be Rosarena or this year Adolis Garcia? Well, Tyler O'Neill is basically the Cardinals' version of those guys, just a super athlete that crushes the ball and run around in the outfield, one of the fastest players in the league. So I'm all in on Tyler O'Neill. How long can he keep it up? I'm not sure, but looks pretty good right now for sure he's been fun to watch that's for sure appreciate the time as always keith all the best to you and we'll talk with you again soon my man sounds good guys thanks for having me thanks, you keith. got it that's keith costas of mlb network you can follow him on twitter at his name keith costas on twitter as well tyler o'neill is a fascinating player we i, I wish you would have been here yesterday so we could have spent more time on him but what is your like elevator pitch on where we're at with Tyler O'Neill now. Are, are you as all in as it sounds like Keith Costas is? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to not be all in on Tyler O'Neill. He's giving you everything that you've wanted him to give you. And in, in fact, I think he's giving you more because I don't think anybody expected him to be a gold glove defender. And we made all fun of that last year because of the analytics. But make no mistake, he's a gold glove defender in the outfield for his speed and his ability to catch balls that probably shouldn't be caught. He's he's a weird outfielder because there are times when I think he should make kind of the easy plays and he doesn't make them. But then there's some catches that he makes out there where it's like there's maybe five guys in baseball that would have been able to get to that That catch against the Dodgers to solidify that win. That was all Tyler O'Neill. I don't know. Harrison Bader maybe makes that play if he's playing that position, but I don't know if Dylan Carlson makes that catch. I don't know if any of the other outfielders make the catch on that Cardinals roster. So I'm all in on it. Frankly, Tyler O'Neill makes the loss of Randy Rosarena a lot easier in my opinion. And we asked the question on Monday, would you just trade Tyler O'Neill for a Rosarena straight up right now? And I wouldn't. And I stand by that statement that I made on Monday because he's providing you what you have always needed out of that position. And that's home runs or bust. And he's given you a lot of them. And I think I still would consider it. But man, Tyler O'Neill's making it very hard to make that decision. That's right why now. we spent 10 minutes on it. And then you decided to go against what we spent 10 minutes on. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next, including maybe the single most emasculating moment of my entire life. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Guys, I think we need to have an intervention. For for T-Bone's alcoholism. Wait, I thought he had a drinking problem. No, you do, buddy. No, I don't. You made a comment yesterday. You you made a comparison to, believe it was Tyler O'Neill, and you called him a mixed martini. A mixed mixed cocktail. cocktail. Anytime you start yeah. making references to players and comparing them to alcoholic drinks, you got a problem, buddy. So this is not about my alcohol I'm problem. Always listening. Instead, I I don't think that I'm going to be allowed to do to put together any furniture from IKEA or anything like IKEA ever again. I thought you learned your lesson from your TV stand that you couldn't put together. So I tried it again. Oh, Jesus. I went to uh, get a desk. I've Why got do you my... keep going to Ikea for the products? Well, this, to be clear, this wasn't from Ikea. It's an Office Depot desk, but it's the same thing, right? People know when you go to Ikea, you've got the instructions that may or may not be in English, and you got to figure it out based on, like, four pictures. Oh, those are the worst. So I did. I ended up 
making it work with the TV stand. You've seen it. It looks good. Yeah, but I'm not sure if it was you or if it was you, uh, your TV stand. And I can't confirm that it's still standing. Yeah, that's true also. All fair. All fair critiques. <laughs> so I'm putting together my my actual desk has not yet been delivered, but I got the file cabinet in last night. So started putting it together. Took me like three and a half hours to put this thing together. How big was this file cabinet? Just a normal two drawer file cabinet. And it took you three and a half hours? I couldn't. So the, the what do you even use a file cabinet for? Well, I mean, documents and stuff. Of what? Important stuff, man. Like records and home ownership warranties and all this stuff. You know you're a homeowner. Yeah, I don't even know if we have a file cabinet. I think we just throw them in boxes in the basement. But go so, on, three and a half hours. That's embarrassing. It took me about three and a half hours to put together. The worst part on the drawers is figuring out how to put together all of the hinges. It's this whole thing, right? So... I finally get it together, and I can't get the drawers to actually fit in correctly. Oh, my God. You put them in upside down. So I called in Kara. Oh, my God. And I was like, Kara, I can't figure this out. I need a fresh set of eyes. Can you help me out here? She said, well... I think you need to flip everything 90 degrees, oh or I guess it would have been 180 degrees. Yes. Basically, I've got it upside down. Yes. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't think that's right. I was like, no, no, this is where this goes. This is where another thing goes. It's clearly correct. It's like, no, I, I think if you like turn the drawers over right now, it'll fit in better. <laughs> turn the drawers over. I'm like this, this, you know what? There's no way this is going to work. I'll be damned. Turned it over. Yep. <laughs> it didn't fit in perfectly. You've got to adjust them. And that's a pain in the ass as well. But I had made this upside down. Nice. Now, here's a real question. There was a sticker, Alex, that said A this on the top. Up. Woof. And I got it upside down. She looked at me and said, I think from now on, I'm going to have to put together the furniture that we get. Oh, man. It was the single most emasculating moment of my entire life. And you know, there's been a lot of those. Yeah, that's brutal. That's that what one, that is. That one stinks. I've never felt like less of a man. I've yeah. never felt so small. Do you do you look at that item now, your file cabinet, just angry about it? Like, do you look at it every time you're like, oh, stupid file cabinet? So, I, it ended up, I mean, you guys saw my text. It ended out in the trash. He was like, no, we ain't using it anymore. He's going to get home today and it fell over and it's broken again. It was like midnight and I was like, I got to start working. <laughs> I got to start working for the show tomorrow. So I haven't even adjusted all of the, the drawers to where they can fit in correctly yet. There's still some adjustments that need to be made. We're, we're on day two of putting that thing together. It's a nightmare. Keith had every right to not let you use his grill. I second okay. that. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. I bet you I have some backup on this. I those instructions it. from Ikea and from what, whatever it is, that you, wherever it is that you get those things, it, they're oh, no. a nightmare. The instructions, an absolute nightmare. The instructions are bogus, especially when they come from, like, especially when they come and they're just solely pictures and you have to decide, is this screw going in this way? Is this up or is this down? And it doesn't, like, there was one yeah. step, Alex, it was a five-step thing. Like, the everything was happening oh, at the same time, you're right? making this worse for you, man. Well, I should clarify, it was probably 50 steps, but it only put the pictures in five they steps. They made it seem like it was Correct. a five-step thing, yeah. And so on one of the steps, it 
it shows everything happening at one time. But you can't put it all together at one time because there's stuff that has to happen first. And so you end up, okay, I'm going to unscrew this now. It... It was an absolute Someone disaster. said even more emasculating than being found behind a bed curtain closet in college like an elementary school kid playing hide and seek. Correct. This was worse. Yikes. You're an idiot. You're an absolute 100% and total idiot. It's true, Randy. He is. But it's okay. 65780 is the air service tax line from the 618. Guys, don't worry, BK. Ikea furniture is impossible to put together. My wife puts all of our stuff together as well. See, I'm not alone on this. Alex, have, have you ever had this Wait, issue that's before? your phone number. <laughs> no, my wife my wife has had to help me put things together because, like, I just for some reason... See, my problem is I get really pissed off within, like, the first 10 minutes of it not working. So, like, as soon as it starts to get messed up, I'm like, okay, somebody come in here and look at this because I'm going to lose my mind. But... It doesn't always take me three and a half hours, and I don't have her put it together like by herself. I didn't have Kara put it together. I had her come in for a fresh, fresh set of eyes. No, you had her put it together the correct way. Turn it upside down. I said, that's definitely not going to work. That's wrong. I like how you argued with her, too. Like, that's not how this works. It's fine upright. And you know how it is, right? You're frustrated. You've been working on this thing for three hours. And she comes in. She hasn't done a thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just turn it upside down. You're like, no, that can't be it. That's how Katie is. Katie is with, like, technology where, like, she'll be like, this stupid television won't turn on. I've been trying for 15 minutes. I don't know what the problem is. And I walk in. I hit the power button. And she goes, you're an ass and then just walks out of the room it's fine it's how this works bk somebody else said i know contractors that won't even put that stuff together see i'm telling you this thing it it easily it gets my blood boiling just thinking about the fact that now i'm gonna have to do the desk well there's a difference between being able to put it together and just not buying that product. Somebody said, BK, I think you need to start on a Tonka tool bench before you graduate to Ikea furniture. That is a great point. Maybe that's what we get you for your wedding gift, Tebow. Maybe we get him like a Tonka tool set. <laughs> like that little... Uh, kill myself Coming on that up one. next, <laughs> the uh, Athletic put together a checklist of the Fisher 10 Price tool belt that NHL Stanley Cup champions have. How many of them do the Blues have right now going into the offseason? We'll go through the checklist next on 101 ESPN. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, and that's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The Athletic put together a very interesting piece the other day on the 10 things that a Stanley Cup champion needs to have. And I wanted to go through this with you, Alex, to determine, okay, how many of these do the Blues have right now? Because whatever they're missing, that's probably what the well, offseason priority should be, right? They have all 10. Mm, close. Uh, let's go through this list together. <laughs> And we can determine what they have and what they're still missing for this offseason. The first thing on the list, they need an elite top-line center that's among the very best players in the world. We can all agree they have that, right? I think With so. With Ryan O'Reilly? I think some people could make an argument that they don't because like, when you think elite number one centers, you think Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby, Nicholas Backstrom. But look, Ryan O'Reilly's elite in a different way. Ryan O'Reilly is a guy who still produces points, 
point-per-game player, but he also is one of the best defensive centermen in the game, a Selkie Trophy winner, a um, Con Smythe winner, and the MVP in the playoffs. So, yeah, I would consider Ryan O'Reilly an elite first-line centerman. So here's the question. This is the second one for you. Do they have an elite top-line winger to support that elite center? I think that David Perron is outstanding. Would you consider him, and this is going back to the old Joe Flacco conversation, right? Is he truly elite? When they won the cup, I think you could make the case that a guy like Vladimir Tersenko is that guy, Mm -hmm. right? He is the elite winger that you needed. Hell, at the time, uh, Jaden Schwartz was playing like an elite level winger. Is David Perron that guy? Or do is that probably one of the first things that we need to target? I think he is, but I, I would say from a national perspective, he's not. I mean, how can you argue with a guy who's a point-per-game player this season? Last year, he had 60 points in 71 games. If you play a full season, you know, maybe he's looking at closer to a point-per-game player. And then the in the 18-19 season, I mean, without the injuries, he had 46 of 57 games. So, I mean, every year he's given you 50-plus points. Is that elite? I think from a national perspective, no. But I'd say he's right under that tier of elite. So, yeah, I would say that's something that you have to target, which makes an awful lot of sense of what we've been talking about, finding an elite left winger to play with Ryan O'Reilly and Perron. So let's say he is. The next one is where I think that they fall short. The next check checklist item that they need to have to win a Stanley Cup, according to The Athletic, two other top-line wingers on the top two lines. They don't have that. If they do have that elite-level winger, if you want to consider David Perron to be that, they're missing two other guys that you would consider to be top-line wingers that can be on their roster. See, I would flip that, and I would say you have the top-line wingers to play on the two lines. You don't don't have have the elite winger. Because I think Perron and Cairo or Perron and and Tarasenko, those are are top wingers to play, and I don't think anybody could argue that. Those are top six guys. Even if one of those three is playing on the third line, that's a steal for you for how good those players are in their prime. So I would say you have those. You don't have that top elite winger. That's how I would frame it as well. I think you're missing the guy that you're missing the Gabriel Landeskog, frankly, Uh, the, the guy that is a legit like top top flight left winger next thing that you need a top line center to play behind your elite center I think they have that in Braden Shin. I think they do too and I think you have to go into next season with the clear understanding that Braden Shen is your number two centerman because when he is the centerman and when you give him proper line mates he produces when you try and jam the square peg into a round hole as him as a winger or you put him on a third line or you don't give him the proper wingers he doesn't produce he's a second line center for you two more top six forwards for depth in the middle six this is where I think you have one if you considered whether it be Vladdy and Perron or Kairou those three those guys are top six wingers in my opinion you're missing one more because you would need four according to this formula you'd need four legit top six forwards for depth I think they're missing one of those guys I think they have one out of two depending on who you counted for that first one yeah because we've already said that Perron Kairou and Tarasenko those are the wingers for you you're missing that second line left winger now Jaden Schwartz could fall into that category but he's got to be at the right cost for you. But you need that elite left winger, and then you need another winger to play on the top six. Those are the two biggest holes right now. So I would say they're in need of that for sure. So we're halfway through. Now we're getting to the defensive side of things. That was the forwards. Now it's onto the defense. Elite number one defenseman. Do the Blues have that? I don't think they have that. I I, I, I hope Colton Pareko can get there. 
and I would like to see him as a healthy, full season number one defenseman because I do believe he can get there. But right now, I don't see you having an elite number one defenseman. Look at the elite guys around the National Hockey League that are in the playoffs right now. I mean, you just don't have a guy that matches to those caliber players. I agree. I do think they have this other one, though, if you don't consider Pareko to be a legitimately elite defenseman, a second number one defenseman to play behind him. I think Pareko fits into that. Like if you if you had an elite level guy, I think Colton Pareko would fit as a quote unquote number one defenseman. Yeah, I would too. The hope is he becomes that number one defenseman this year. I think he can turn into that elite number one defenseman. And I still believe you'd have that second number one defenseman behind him and Justin Falk. But for right now, Colton Pareko would be that second number one defenseman. I don't know who turns into that elite number one guy other than Colton Pareko. And then the next one up on this uh, list of the athletics, 10 things that every Stanley Cup champion needs, a top pairing defenseman to help anchor a strong second pair with that other number two. I think right now that would be Justin Falk. Or, or Tori I Krug. would think it would be Tori. If we look at it the way of Pareko as the, the number two guy and then someone to back him up would be Justin Falk. But for the way I'm viewing this, I'm viewing Pareko to get to that next level. Justin Falk would be that solid number two pairing. And I'd put Tori Krug with him because he's a guy that if you take him out of the number one pairing, he's going to succeed for you. Another one is another top pairing caliber defense defenseman to be able to be on the third pairing. I think if the Blues go out there and acquire somebody this offseason, that's probably the role that they would fill, if I had to guess. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I think you have a couple of guys who can play that. Like, I think Nico Mikola can be that for you this season. I think Marco Scandella can be that for that's you this season. But if you're going to go out there, I think Tory Crew could be that. If you could go out and find like a Jamie Alexiak, like I've been talking about, to match up with a Justin Falk or Colton Pareko. It, I think the team becomes a championship contender again if you shift guys into the roles they're supposed to be playing rather than trying to get them to be something that they're not. And then the last thing, of course, top 10 caliber starting goalie. You've got that. If anybody argues that, you're not watching hockey. I mean, I don't care that Jordan Bennington has lost his last nine games in the bubble or in the postseason. He is the reason they get to the playoffs. He's the reason they are in playoff games. They need help from in front of him. Right now, Jordan Bennington, without question, is a top 10 caliber starting goaltender. So the things that the Blues are missing right now that they could realistically acquire, a legitimate top-line left winger, another top six forward that you need to get, probably on the left side, and then another top-pairing caliber defenseman. Those are the three things that they don't have on this list, and they would also need an improvement out of Colton Pareko. They yeah. need him to make another jump and then to acquire this offseason a top-line left winger, another top six uh, forward, and then a solid defender that can help them out. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest needs without question going into this offseason. That checks out. Yeah. That's what we've been talking about all offseason, And it's the man. biggest thing that you noticed in the playoffs this year going up against Colorado that has all of those things. It's the one thing you noticed that the Blues were lacking, whether it be injuries or whatnot. They need those commitments to take that next step. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 115 Your Time Check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Neil Greenberg. He is with the Washington Post. He is up close to seeing what Max Scherzer's been like this year, what the Washington Nationals have done this year. Does he think the Nationals will realistically sell before the deadline? We'll ask Neil Greenberg next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And right now we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Neil Greenberg. He is a writer for the Washington Post, and you can follow him on Twitter at in Greenberg. Neil, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you all doing? Doing all right. So we wanted to talk to somebody that is close to uh, the Washington Nationals out there in D.C. because uh, the Nationals are of interest, as you can probably imagine, Neil, for Cardinals fans right now who are hoping that they just crumble over the course of the next month and a half or so. So they start selling at the deadline. What's your impression of this Nationals team so far this year? Do you think that's in play? Yeah, I mean, they're certainly um, underwhelming. And, um, you know, anytime you have a situation where you're in last place, you have a low chance to winning the division, uh, even though you had that before and ended up winning the national, you know, the, the World Series. Uh, but I think if we're looking at it again, um, you know, they're, they're not competitive in the East. They're not going to be competitive for a playoff spot. And when you have a free agent to be like Max Scherzer, you know, you have to start listening to offers, I think. Um, that would be the prudent thing to do. I know they always say, you know, we're always listening, but, um, you know, I think this this should be a situation where they use the opportunity to, um, you know, restart the cupboard a little bit and uh, look to, to get some prospects. They're in an interesting situation, Neil, the, the Nationals, because if you were to make that trade, like you're not looking to blow things up anytime soon because, of course, you have one of the more impactful young players in the game today and you still have Steven Strasburg and some really good core pieces. So, so what are the Washington Nationals looking at if they were to trade away a Max Scherzer? Are you wanting major league-ready talent? Um, I don't think they'll be able to get major league ready talent. I mean, you look at like the Corey Kluber um, trade, you know, that got outf- outfielder Delano the Shields and a pitcher. Um, you know, a lot of people were lukewarm on that. Hugh Darvish brought back a couple of prospects. Blake Snow brought back a couple of prospects. Um, I don't think you're going to get much for a 37 year old pitcher who, you know, I guess is doing okay, not great. Um, and then expect to get, you know, wowed. I mean, you're, you're, you're really at this point just looking um, not only to get the best possible deal, but not have him walk in free agency and and be left with nothing. I am curious, Neil. You said he's just been okay, not great so far this year. How how much of a drop-off would you expect from Max Scherzer? Because if the Cardinals acquired him, my guess would be they'd probably try to bring him back as well for 2022. How much of a drop would you expect from his play over the next couple of years? I mean, he's 37 years old, right? I mean, his ERA looks good, 2.34. Um, you know, he's he's certainly getting the benefit of a low batting average on balls in play. Um, you know, but he's always going to strike out batters, right? I mean, his strikeout rate is, is the highest it's ever been. Um, it's also up around the major leagues. You know, his fastball velocity is is still there. I mean, he's a he's a good pitcher. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he certainly would would add value. I think both this year, and you can probably expect to see something very similar to to next year. Um, but again, I mean, it's mostly because if you're the Nationals, look, you paid him a lot of money when he came here. You've gotten a lot of value from him in the terms of. You know, Cy Youngs, and and I think he could have been the MVP in some of those years, but also obviously the World Series. You know, you've more than than gotten your your money's worth from his contract. 
um, I think now's the time to to start to look to uh, you know to get something for that. And there's some other names too that are out there with the Washington Nationals that might be intriguing for other teams, Neil. And one that I know St. Louis fans have brought up is the closer in the bullpen for him, and Daniel Hudson. Is that another name that you could see the Nationals possibly looking to move come trade deadline time, or maybe before trade deadline? Yeah, I think you have to trade anybody that's going to be a free agent, especially um, you know at the you know, premier starter, starting players, and, and you know, someone like a closer. Um, closers, in my opinion, are, are made, not born. I mean, you can, you know, if you have a good reliever, you can, you can turn them into a closer. I don't think that the replaceability is, um, you know, is that difficult, especially for a guy like Hudson that's pitching pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, they certainly should entertain anything, anything for – any of their, you know, any of their their free agents. I mean, Scherzer, right? Hudson. You have Jan Gomez, who's really starting to perk up over the past couple games. You know, you have Joe Ross. I mean, um, you know, these are these are players that are in the starting lineup or the starting rotation that um, you know would have value. Now, are you going to be getting like you know top tier prospects? No, but you know, again, at some point, it's you know just not losing them and not having some replacement assets in their wake. Um, so I think it would be smart business to, to listen to offers on all those players. We're talking to Neil Greenberg here on 101 ESPN. Neil, I did want to change things over a little bit to another team in the National League East. You wrote recently about Francisco Lindor and his struggles this year and how it's it's kind of been more of a three-year trend for him. In the offseason, I was leading the charge prior to this Nolan Arenado thing of the Cardinals going out there and acquiring Francisco Lindor. What's gone wrong for him? What, why, why has this not gone as I would imagine the vast majority of Mets fans would have expected? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely perplexing. Um, he appears to have peaked in 2018 by a number of different metrics. Probably the most alarming right now is that he's not getting a lot of hits on the sweet spot of the bat. Um, so instead of driving the ball with power or getting these line drives, um, he's topping the ball and it's leading to more ground ground balls, which convert more easily to outs. Um, and that's really been the challenge here. I mean, he's making as many outs on batting um, balls in play than a pitcher would. And that's, you know, you, if you're signing a guy to $300 million, you, you know, you want him to be a little bit better hitter than, uh, you know, the collective pitchers in the, in the league. Um, so that's really what's been the, the, the big thing, because it's not like he's getting bad luck, um, you know, bad bounces. He's not striking out more. You know, even if you, even if you credit him with, you know, all, everything in terms of how hard he's hitting the ball and, and kind of the, the launch angle, he still would be, you know, a subpar hitter. He'd be batting just 217 with a 347 sl- um, slugging. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's awful any way you slice it. Um, so I, I don't know if it's mental. I don't know if it's, if it's um, you know, a change in his swing pattern. What I do know is even if you look at it, what, he's, what he did last year, um, you know, his, his batting profile is very similar to guys in their mid-30s. And you can say, yeah, sure, it's a 60-game sample or what have you, but, you know, anytime you go through a, a decent stretch of games, let's face it, 60 games is, is a decent stretch, and you're 28 years old, but your batting profile is similar to guys who are in their you know low to mid 30s. That's concerning. And then you tack on this year where he's gotten off to a rough start. 
you know, I think we're beyond the small sample size portion of the argument. I think that there's something fundamentally wrong with how he's approaching the plate. Neil, when you look at the the measuring sticks right now in the National League, it's the Dodgers, it's the Padres, and I guess you could argue that it's the Giants right now with how they're playing. When you look at this NL East division, is there a, a team that, that's clear-cut that you feel can compete with those teams in the NL West, or is it just those guys and everyone else battling for that second tier? You know, I think if the if the Mets are healthy, they probably they probably can be a contender with the the Dodgers and, and Padres. Um, you know, but again, that's a that's a pretty big if. I mean, and and you know, they're they're actually fortunate to be in the situation that they're in with the um, the injuries that they've had, and also as we just talked about, the way Lindor has been playing. Um, so I think that speaks to to you know how competitive they can be. At, um, but like you said, I mean, we've always seen baseball as, as top-heavy. Um, you know, the division races might be a little bit more in play than they have been in previous years. But, um, you know, by and large, we're looking at teams that, that are spending the money, Dodgers, um, Yankees, Padres, Mets. Um, and those are probably going to be among your uh, World Series contenders as we go through the season. Final thing I've got for you, Neil, and I know you're a hockey guy as well. What's been your biggest impression, your biggest takeaway so far from the 2021 postseason? Um, I think the Colorado Avalanche are for real. Um, you know, you looked at them coming into the into the playoffs. They were uh, one of the most dominant teams at even strength, uh, both for goal scoring, but also after you adjust their, their shot volume and shot quality. Um, they were the real deal. And, you know, when you looked at it, it was, um, you know, you really didn't know what to expect being that, you know, they really just played divisional, intra-divisional opponents. Um, but that type of stuff tends to carry. You can carry that out of your division. If you're playing well at even strength, historically, that's been a, a recipe for success. So I think, um, you know, the Colorado Avalanche, um, they were my pick to win before the playoffs started. Um, they're looking like the real deal. He's Neil Greenberg. You can find his work over at the Washington Post, and make sure you follow him on Twitter as well, at in Greenberg. Neil, we always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us today. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Neil Greenberg joining us here on 101 ESPN. I, I feel like there are two different ways to look at the Max Scherzer situation from, from the Nationals' perspective, right? It's what the team is likely to do, what the team's history would suggest that they are going to do, and then what the team should do. Mm-hmm. And those are very different sometimes. And honestly, at times, they are they're opposing views as to what should happen and what will happen. And I know with the Cardinals, we face this a lot. What should happen for the Nationals is what you just heard there from Neil Greenberg. They should trade all of their impending free agents to be able to recoup some assets for them. Because otherwise, they're going to have a few down years while they're having Juan Soto in his prime, while they've got Trey Turner in his prime. That's not what you want to do as an organization. What they're likely to do, though, I still believe is probably hold on to these assets and end up kicking themselves down the road for doing so. Yeah, it's also interesting to hear the Washington and the national perspective of Max Scherzer compared to what the narrative is here in St. Louis, right? Because everyone's saying trade for Max Scherzer. He's an elite talent. Get him. He'll change the team to a World Series contender. Whereas you kind of heard Neil talk about there, I mean, yeah, it's been declining a little bit for Max Scherzer. He's still an elite pitcher, but it's definitely not what he was when they won the World Series or when they originally signed him. 
So do you alter your expectations a little bit of Max Scherzer? Like, do you try and make an effort for a guy, but do you also look at it and say, he's also a 37-year-old pitcher, so maybe let's not give up the farm for him? If I told you you could add another uh, Jack Flaherty to your rotation, would you want to do it? Oh, my God. And, yeah. and would you see that as like a massive, massive addition to this team? Yeah. That's what that's what Max Scherzer is at this point. 100% agree it, with is you. Is he a Cy Young candidate every year? Maybe not. I don't think he's at that point in his career any longer. However, he's still outstanding. Mm-hmm. He misses a ton of bats. I mean, if you look at the strikeout rate that he has, he's top, top top five percentile in baseball right now. That is something the Cardinals, frankly, do not have in their rotation. Yeah, and like it or not, and believe it or not, I should say, regardless of you say you're going to compete every single day, it's hard to go out there and have that fire in the middle of a season when your team's underperforming rather than be on a team that you know has a serious opportunity to win a World Series. And you could say that the Nationals do because they've done it before, but it's not the same team. Whereas Scherzer on a team like the Cardinals that's competing for the top spot in the NL Central might be a little bit more fire under his belly. How many quarterbacks right now are in the top 10 players in the NFL? CBS Sports put together their list. We'll tell you what they had to say about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Okay, so how many quarterbacks realistically are among the top 10 best players in the NFL? It's a question I'm always curious about because it's difficult to value a quarterback versus a position, any other position, right? Those guys are just inherently more valuable because of the job that they do. So CBS Sports put together their list of the 100 best players currently in the NFL going into next season. The number one player on the list, you guys would guess, is Lamar Jackson, Aaron Donald, Matt Stafford, Jared Jared Goff. Goff. Patrick Mahomes, of oh, course. Right. It's Patrick stinks. Mahomes. Come on now. Of course, Kansas Aaron City Donald guys Donald was that. number two on their list. That makes a lot of sense. I think you can make an argument that Donald's actually better as a football player than Mahomes. I would I would argue that. Mahomes yeah. more valuable, but Donald is among the most dif- dominant players I've ever Donald seen in my life. Donald trains with knives. Like, I don't see Patrick Mahomes doing that. We should try that. What? We should try his workout routine, see how we do. I BK would be stabbed within three seconds. <laughs> you think dead. it lasts that long? <laughs> I'll give you three seconds before you get stabbed. You're faster than both of us. Yeah, I... BK's the guy that does... What, what's that game with the hand where you put it down and you try to go in between oh, the yeah, fingers? Yeah. What's that called? Being an idiot? <laughs> That's not the name of it. Yeah, but it should be. BK's the one who would try that with a knife and just cut each finger every time. Probably. It's called the knife game, by the way. It's um, a weird name. Uh, Aaron Donald's number two on this list. Aaron Rodgers is number three. Tom Brady is number four. Oh, I think I'd have Brady over Rodgers. I think so, too, I actually. I think I'd have Brady over Rodgers. Travis Kelsey came in at number five, a little higher than I, I would have expected. I think I might have Kelsey over Rodgers, too. TJ Watt at number six. TJ Watt's old. TJ Watt's very old. You're thinking of JJ Watt. Oh, this <laughs> brother. Why couldn't they have just named him like Derek Watt or something? <laughs> they do have a brother named Derek Watt, actually. He's the one that I remember. Uh, Devontae Adams was number seven, and then Russell Wilson, Miles Garrett, and Josh Allen. So overall in the top ten, you have five five quarterbacks? Yeah, five yeah. quarterbacks with Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, and then Russ and Josh Allen. Does that sound about right to you guys? Five of the top 10 players in the league right now I mean, are quarterback. It clarifies what I've been saying for a while that Lamar Jackson isn't in the category with those other guys. Yep. And I know people fire back at me on that one and say, oh, Ferrari, you just hate Lamar Jackson. He's not better than any of these guys on the list right here. They've got Lamar at number 29 on this list. 
Number 29 overall. Wow. That's actually really low for him. I thought he would have been a little higher up than that. So they've got like Quentin Nelson, Joey Bosa, Deshaun Watson, George Kittle a little above him. So when, yeah. you, when you talk about the names that are above him, kind of makes sense. Yeah, these lists are always so hard. I'll tell you the one that's really surprising, and I know we're talking quarterbacks here, but Devontae Adams is the only wide receiver on that list. Like, he's an incredible receiver, but I mean, are you surprised that there's no other guys up there? I'm trying to think of who the other guys would be that you would consider. I mean, Tyreek Hill, Derek, or DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, DJ Metcalf. I think all of these guys are very good, but they're just not on that level. I'm not sure. Like Antonio Brown in his prime was just such an elite level player. Mm -hmm. Randy Moss, same thing. Terrell Owens, same thing. I don't know if right now going into next season, we have that guy. That's the clear cut, obvious. Everybody would agree. Unanimous number one receiver in the league. Like, if you pulled 20 people, hell, every just pulled everybody at, at our station, I think all of us would have a different top five receivers in the NFL. I at agree. least a different order on, on the top five receivers. I think you could do that for every position in football, too. Like, I think if you were to pull people, the top five in quarterbacks Mahomes, would be different. everybody would agree would be the number one. Close. And Aaron Donald, I think everybody would agree, is the best defensive tackle. Yeah. Wide receivers. Tell you what, this also clarifies a BK stance of running backs don't matter. They had Derrick Henry at number 11 on he this list. He should be top 10. In my he opinion. should be number 10. He's a, really? he's a beast. Uh, he should be in the top 10. I think uh, I, I would, would you take him over Josh Allen or Miles Garrett or Devontae I, I Adams? I think I would take him over Josh Allen. That's who I would take him over. Yeah. I think I would I'd take him over Garrett too. I think I'd, I'd take him over Russell Wilson too. Interesting. See, I, see, I think he's right behind Russ. But Russell Wilson, I mean, yeah, he's a game changer, but like we've seen what it looks like bad with Russell Wilson and Derrick Henry always is a game changer every single game. I mean, the guy's rushing for a thousand yards every season for you. He's an interesting one because he's the only running back in the league for me where I change my stance a little bit. He changes everything for that team. He like when you go up against the Tennessee Titans, a legit playoff threat. He's the guy that you circle. Mm-hmm. It's not Ryan Tannehill. It's A.J. Brown I love. I think he's a great player. Derrick Henry, you have to stop him first, and mm-hmm. then you can worry about everything else that they do offensively. That's why that team's been so beatable over these last few seasons because they know what the game plan is, and when that gets shut down, they don't know what else to do. So other notables on this list, Dalvin Cook came in at number 19. I would not have him that high. That seems really high for Dalvin Cook in my opinion. Yeah, but, but on the other hand, like, I can't have him. He and Justin Jefferson were the sole reasons that Minnesota was even in the playoff consideration last year. I can't have Dalvin Cook above Lamar. That seems crazy to me. Lamar Jackson's a better football player than Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I would agree with you that. You know, uh, another guy that came in on this list is a young quarterback that I thought was interesting. Justin Herbert was at number 38 overall. He was behind Alvin Kamara, DeAndre Hopkins, Darren Waller. Any other quarterbacks he was behind? Other guys around that same area. I mean, Lamar was one that was right above him, yeah, not said, too far. Yeah. Deshaun Watson, and then the guys that we've already discussed. Huh. That seems about right. I might yeah. even have him a little higher up. I think I might have him top no, 25-ish. Yeah, I, I think I was saying I have him above Deshaun, but, man, it's so hard to put him above Deshaun Watson from what we've seen so far. So I think that's about right in terms of position. What about Dak Prescott at number 50? Dak came in at number 50 on this list, so he is behind Justin Herbert in this scenario. I think that's fair coming off of a big injury like he had. Not saying he can't get, get back to where he was, but before the injury, I would say... Yeah, I'd say before that injury, he would probably be... Top 20? Probably a little bit higher than the t- than 50. I'd have him in the 30s, but... 
with that injury. Yeah, I can, I get the 50 this year will be interesting if he goes up or down because of the injury. So one other guy that I wanted to get your thoughts on, because I think going into last year, we probably would have had him at the least in the top 20 is Michael Thomas, the saints wide receiver. Yeah. He was at number 55 on this list, which is a massive fall. And he had a disappointing year because of so many injuries that ended up ruining his season. He's a guy that even today, I think I would consider to be a top five receiver in the league. Going into this upcoming season, I'm still going to have him up there with DeAndre Hopkins and DK Metcalf and guys like that. I think he's right up in that category. Do you guys agree with that? Or would you start kind of pushing him down that way? I'd start pushing him down a little bit because we kind of saw what Michael Thomas was without Drew Brees. And I mean, it wasn't a great season. And I know he had injuries and I know... and I know it's your, we're going small sample size, but I'm imagining they're making this list off of last season. Yeah, from they're their going views. into this year, too. Yeah, so, I mean, it was a down year for him, and he doesn't have Drew Brees next year. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, Michael Thomas is going to be the same guy when I don't know how he's going to perform with Jameis Winston or Jason, Ta- or Jason Tatum. Huh. Oh, he's Taysom going to Hill. football now? I guess he's going. He could do anything right now. Once you do magic, Mike, you could do whatever you want. That's Channing, Channing. Tatum. Little just different. making sure who was listening. Uh, yeah, okay. You uh, didn't, T-Bone. I, I'm with you, though, Alex. I, I don't think he's a top five wide receiver right now. The injury is a concern <laughs> for me because it was, what, multiple ankle injuries, if mm, I'm not mistaken? Yeah, high ankle. Yeah, and then I'm along with you. All this was done with Drew Brees. It, it, you now have a new quarterback. Can you do that production with someone new, someone that you've not really – I can't say you've never played with him because I'm sure he started when Hill's gotten a couple stars in the past, same with Winston. Yeah, but, but Brees is putting it right into his his, his Brees, hands, and yep. the other guys, you got to work for it. I don't know how Thomas is going to do with that. How would you guys rank your top five receivers then? Like Devontae Adams, we would all agree, would be on that list. Yeah. I'm not saying you got to put him in order, but Adams would be up I there. Think Metcalf's up there. Tyreek? Tyreek's up Tyreek's there. up there. Hopkins is up there, and I think I'd put Stephon Diggs up there. I, yeah, I, I would take. Five. I would take all five of those guys over Michael Thomas right now. And then you've got Julio, Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, Godwin. Yeah. I, I would have. I would have Thomas over Julio. So you've got him right around that six. Yeah, range. probably that six seven. That makes sense. I might have him above DeAndre Hopkins. That that might be the guy that I would push down just a little bit. Um, but I, I like both of them. I think there's a definitive like top six or seven right now yeah. in the league. That's interesting. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in just about a minute or so, we'll talk with uh, the guys from the crossover. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by I Promise on 101ESPN.com in the free 101 ESPN app. The crossover coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie crossing things over with the fast land. We've got Anthony Stalter in studio. So we are doing the home run derby on Saturday night out at car shield field. If you want to check out tickets, you can check them out at one one ESPN.com. Highly recommend none of you come. You shouldn't be there to watch me Whoa, hit home runs. You no. can come right afterwards though. That's why it's good should, promotion. That's why you should come. So you can come watch BK and just, Make these text so, lines even more enjoyable. Brandon Moss is going to be a part of that on the Cardinal side of things. He's not competing against us. Thank God. 
he's coming on with us tomorrow so that way he can give us some pointers because I have not swung a baseball bat in roughly 20 years. And I'm not exaggerating there. I literally don't Stultz, remember the last time you, I swung a baseball bat. Did you do bat. background check when you asked BK to fill in? This is awkward. I did not ask him to fill in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. So he wouldn't have been your number one choice. Okay, who would have been, your, no. so who would have been Bo- your number one choice? Both of you guys know this. When somebody asks me to play softball with their team, yeah. I say, I'm not very good. I want you to know that up front. Like, if you guys it's need true. somebody to fill in, I'm happy to do it. I'll come out, drink a few beers, hang out with you guys. I am not good at baseball, though, and I want you to know that up front. And Alex asked me a few months ago, hey, would you be interested in joining our team? But and he I got told those him out that, and he was like, like, no. Okay, never mind. We're yeah. good. <laughs> I was like, I understand. I don't need guys to come have a good time. I need guys to come out and compete their asses off. Yeah, well said. Right? I'm self-aware on this that I'm bad at baseball, but I normally don't get asked to help out with an event, and I'm, I'm happy to help out the station by going out there and being a warm body, but that's all I'm going to be. Yeah, see, this is a home run derby, though. I mean, it's not like we're asking you to play right field and just, you know, hey, go stand, stand out there. See, I could do that, though. Oh, man. I, I'd be fine defensively. You Brent. want me to go out there and play in the outfield? I, I can run a little bit. I'll be all right. No? I don't think he can catch. Okay. I, I'd be fine. Brandon, the problem is he had, the a, he had a food processor fall out of his cabinet okay. and hit him in the collarbone. <laughs> That's a good point. Oh. That did happen. So I don't know if he could catch on last week. It's been a while. You're a mess. I ran into the thermostat the other day. Oh, I have a bruise on my that arm. Thing he, I ran he, got into, shot. he ran into a little box. Yeah, sometimes it gets tight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can. I, I sit I in the same spot. I was trying to avoid Danny so Mac. I, I can understand it. Ended yeah. up bumping right into Listen, it. Brandon Moss used to put on some legendary batting practice sessions down at Bush Stadium. Yep. Him and Mark Reynolds. Mm-hmm. We've got a name in common. Nothing else but a name. Well, again, maybe he'll, he'll great. He'll he'll give you some pointers. He can't share his talent with you, which I think is the biggest <laughs> issue. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe something will click for you. I, I guess I'm a little disappointed. I know you got the new house and stuff like that, but I guess I'm a little disappointed that you have not even made made it out to the batting cages. It's been a couple of weeks since you have, have since you've known. He doesn't Stalter. have a bat, Stoltz. This man doesn't you, have a bat. What do you want me to do? And we're competing against the Riz Show. Like, we're helping you guys to beat the Riz Show. Helmet. I don't have anything. You, you don't, don't need, need a helmet. helmet. It's a home run derby, man. Well, he was talking oh, about man. going to the batting cage. you got to be careful. You never know where that it's thing's a, going. Okay. This is why he got hit by a food processor. I, hey, I just got some inside information. Rumor has it they're going to have BK use a T-ball stand. Oh, that'd be great. That's I don't perfect. think you can hit it very yes. far off a T-ball stand. I don't oh, know if you can hit it very far if it's tossed to him. I don't know if I can hit it. Like for, forget the very far part of this. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta be honest. So you're kind of selling everybody. I think to come out and watch you. That's if, what I'm if saying. you, if you have disagreed with any or all of BK's opinions, <laughs> right here on 101 ESPN, a good number of you. He might be the first person that get gets booed at a like promotional <laughs> oh, event no. for the station at a home run derby. Yeah, these are typically fun. Everybody's in a good mood. You know. Drinks and eating and all that. See, the drinking people part seem, of it's what could be problematic. Like. The sad part is, too, like Jim Edmonds, Rick Ankiel. Oh, they're all going to be there. They're going to be there, and they're going to see fine. this. That's fine. And it's going to be embarrassing when you strike out when it's on the team. Oh, yeah. It, it's fine. I, I, Jim Edmonds, I, I heard him breaking down a swing last night. He's going to look at me and say, that guy doesn't know how to swing a bat. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say, you are absolutely correct, Jim Edmonds. I haven't done it in 20 years. I'm kind of interested now. Like how You're saying it's bad. I'm kind of interested. Like, how bad is it? I don't know. I haven't swung a bat in 20 years. I can't, spe- I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you ever seen the movie Bench Warmers? <laughs> Pretty uh, much that. No, bad news but bears, I know the, but the beginning portion of yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Benchwarmers, John Heater and Rob Schneider and David Spade. Uh, John Heater walks up to the plate and actually faces the other way. <laughs> I think that's what this will look like. Okay. You face the cage, right? Yeah. Okay. You face the audience. The okay, yeah. cool. 
Salt, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? It's going to be very. If you need another, if you need another person, like yeah. I can find somebody. Okay, all right. Try and just like, hey, BK, come on out and yeah. have fun. It might be too late. I might be sick mm-hmm. Saturday. Uh, well, over. we are going to spend some time talking about um, last night's game. Oh, you watched it? Yeah, part of it, the first <laughs> inning. <laughs> Do they provide part bats on Saturday? Oh boy, we'll get you a bat. Don't worry okay. about it. All right, that's if you if you're worried about the bat, don't worry about the bat. Just find some sort of skill in the next 48 hours. From the okay? 636, I bought tickets for me and my son. I didn't know BK was filling in. I'd like a refund. <laughs> no, there's still plenty of excitement that's going to be there. Your, BT, Stoltz, your son. Yeah, Brandon Moss and Jim Edmonds are going to yeah. be hitting home Rick runs Ankeel. in front of you. Like, What more could you ask for? Your son is going to get a lesson in what not to do. Yeah, And then he's going to watch G- uh, uh, Anthony Stalter, and he's going to be like, that's what you do. Right. That's what you so. do. I hope so. We'll see. Fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. You are one pathetic loser. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Um, who are you? I'm you, from the future. What do you want? I want to tell you about Dave. Dave has your future money. Spend it on whatever you need. With extra cash from Dave, you can get up to 500 bucks instantly with no interest and no credit check. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. With Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you can get top brand laundry sets with the latest tech to tackle any mess you might face this holiday. Like automatic fabric and load size detection for spills of any size, from cookies and milk on your favorite holiday sweater, to the toddler of the house discovering just how fun cranberry sauce can be. Make more magic this holiday season. Let your new appliances handle the mess. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select LG laundry sets at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details.